I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, no fan of gigantic stone monuments detailing the end of civilization as we know it. Bionic. Mm. That's very imaginative uh, middle name there, Tom. Yeah. It's great to be back with all of you for yet another week of the Future Quake Show and yet another uh, strange topic that has Christian implications. This week is no exception. We have a classic future quake this week with a new guest of ours, Mr. Van Smith, uh, who is an author of a blog called the Van's Hardware Journal blog. Uh, kind of an interesting thing to have uh, about such a serious and interesting subject matter. That's yeah. right. It's a very interesting topic. Uh, we're going to talk this week about unveiling the Antichrist's New World Order plans through the Georgia Guidestones. Yep, the Georgia Gadstones are going to be our theme of discussion this week. I uh, discovered this gentleman through uh, his appearance on the Radio Liberty Show recently, and we're going to have our own Future Quake discussion with it. But we got to go. So here is Mr. Van Smith, and we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, no fan of some big old blocks of granite, Bionic. That's a good middle name. I like that it's one. It's very, very foreshadow-esque. Very foreshadow-esque. And yeah. the reason why is that we have a new friend who's come on our show, someone who's made a big splash uh, in our circles uh, in the Christian world here in the last couple of months. And that is Mr. Van Smith, uh, who is a author of a very interesting blog now that's a new favorite for people. It's called Van's Hardware Journal. It's a very unique name because of some <laughs> other voc- vocational uh, things that he has going on. Yep. But we're going to talk about the topic that I know will be of keen interest to our Futurian listeners who've been with us over the years. We're going to talk about unveiling the Antichrist New World Order plans through the Georgia Guidestones. And, Mr. Smith, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to educate ourselves and our listeners here on the Future Quake Show. Uh, and uh, in responding to our invitation to appear here after I heard your compelling testimony on the Radio Liberty Show recently. Well, thank you very much for having me on Future Quake. I uh, feel that this is an extremely urgent topic, so I, I want to share it with as many people as I can. And, and like I said, thank you again for, for inviting me to share it with your audience. Well, that's how, uh, that's how I discovered uh, your, uh, your research, was just listening to Dr. Stan's show, as I'm, as I'm wont to do uh, frequently. And, in fact, uh, he was on our show just last week, uh, appeared on here, and... Uh, uh, we, we have a, a lot of common similar interest uh, in our studies in the Christian world. And we have a, a lot of uh, Radio Liberty listeners that listen to Future Quake, but then we have a large community of people who are not, uh, that uh, particularly those who reach through the regular airwaves here uh, in the Middle Tennessee area in the Mid-South. And I know they're going to be fascinated by this. To begin our discussions today, could you briefly share with us a little bit about your background and credentials and your Christian testimony? Sure. I have a degree in physics, but I have been working, but I've worked as a software architect and later as head of benchmarking for an x86 microprocessor designer. I achieved the highest overall score in the history of the U.S. Army's Nuclear Weapons Maintenance School, and I was given a top secret critical nuclear weapons design information clearance there. However, I am best known as a writer and analyst on computer technology topics. 
One of my articles was widely credited, credited with causing Rambus stock to plunge $150 per share in a single day. In that article, I showed that the performance claims the company made did not hold up under my testing. That article and a few others were used in the FTC case against Rambus, which eventually led to that company's conviction. As a writer and analyst, I have covered many computer benchmarks for many years. Computer benchmarks are typically software programs that are used to measure how fast computer systems are. Mm-hmm. I am probably... I'm probably one of the world's foremost authorities on consumer and business-level computer benchmarks. I have influenced or directly contributed to many of the world's uh, most widely used computer uh, industry benchmarks. For instance, I wrote the cryptography benchmarks in SciSoft Sandra, and I represented Via Technologies within the Babco Benchmark uh, Industry Consortium. The FTC recently contacted me regarding their antitrust case against Intel to obtain information about how Intel influences benchmarks. Now, would I your would, information, be, would your capability uh, enable us to maybe not have technical difficulties about 50% of the time yeah. on Future Quake? I think our, our laptop system breaks down about every other show we have. Uh, on future quake, so we could we we don't have any pay we can offer. F nine key on my laptop, that would yeah. be awesome. We we have no pay available, but uh, I'm in awe when you start saying these kind of credentials and things like this. Even as an engineer, my eyes glaze over because I have uh, I, I'm overwhelmed with uh, these certifications and skills that you have. It just sounds like uh, you're someone who uh, is not somebody who just crawled out from under a rock or behind a sagebrush uh, with some crazy ideas, but you are highly regarded. Uh, in the field, in the defense area, in the in computer field, and things like this, uh, and have had uh, excellent credentials and reputation as well to do what you've done so far, correct? Well, I'd like to think so. And, and as uh, far as getting your, your computer to run more stably, uh, I uh, opened a company. I was with Centaur Technology for eight years as head of benchmarking, and in August I left that company to form my own firm, uh, Cossetot Analytics Laboratories, or Cana Labs for short, and the services we offer include validation. So um, what I would like uh, you know, companies to do is to give me their laptops and their CPUs and their operating systems uh, for testing just so that you won't have those crashes. That's exactly what I do hmm. is to find these bugs before they get out to people. Hmm. Ours is usually when we see the black helicopter over the window here at yeah. our studio. <laughs> Uh, they know Tuesday evenings when we record. They know really when to show up here. People so, staring in the window with the death ray. It's always he, a big yeah, giveaway. or the or the van, the unmarked van that's yeah. outside with the satellite dish around the top. But um, it's fascinating to hear your background. I didn't mean to interrupt you in the middle of that, but uh, uh, there, there's so many credentials and things that you've had in this area, and the fact that you, you're your own uh, entrepreneur and businessman right now, correct? Yes, I am. Although my company, I have to admit, has uh, struggled ever since I released these Georgia Guidestones articles. Um, the reason being is that uh, my company uh, is offering services that are outsourced and that are traditionally mm-hmm. never outsourced within companies uh, because they require a high level of trust. And uh, you know, I have been working on months to get contracts from several major computer companies and um, once the Georgia Guidestone articles came out, they just stopped responding to me altogether. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I understand why. Uh, these people are my friends, and, you know, they had a hard enough time defending uh, contracts to my company uh, without having to um, address these Georgia Guidestones articles, which are, you know, they're very controversial. 
Um, like I said, trust is, is everything, and um, it, it just makes their jobs more difficult. Uh, mm-hmm. Right. Well, I just want to tell you that uh, your testimony is very consistent with most of the guests that we get on the Future Quake show. Uh, who have been very prestigious in their fields, have lots of academic and other credentials, uh, have really, uh, you know, really um, been very successful and prevailed in their field, uh, and then suddenly became captivated by something they felt was very important, uh, particularly because of their Christian commitment, and pursued things that even many other Christians don't fully support them on. Uh, in the midst of that, they've suffered economically consistently, and I can think of guest after guest after guest, and in fact, even Dr. Monteith, who was just on. In fact, that's pretty much, you know, the, every guest talks about different things, but they all share one thing in common. <laughs> it's poverty. Well, they've, they've basically, their people <laughs> yeah, have been successful. Financial problem. They've been successful, but they yeah. shared a commitment to the Lord. And if, well, you look, if you look in Hebrews in the Hall of Faith of the people that God highly regards in heaven, it says many of those people were didn't have clothes. They were hiding out yeah. in caves, and it said the world wasn't worthy of them. Church but, of Philadelphia, you know, you seem you're like you're mm-hmm. poor, but you're rich. But you, you know that uh, the the show with the uh, the apprentice, you know, where they fire these people. Yeah. God's show, The Apprentice, has a very very different set of criteria in heaven <laughs> on what He's looking for. That's true. And so His rack and stack of people who He regards is very different than than, as they say, the Gentiles do, and they lord it over each other here. So I just want to encourage you, Brother Van, that your work is not in vain, and that uh, not only will there be tremendous treasures in heaven for your commitment to do what you see fit, even if others, even other Christians don't understand it, but uh, I am confident that he's going to meet your needs in unique ways here, too. Uh, and you're going to prevail through what you're doing, and I want to charge you to keep keep on doing what you're doing. This has been consistent with my experience, too. Uh, you know, I, I work as a consultant engineer uh, in the defense area, and I know people have looked at me very strange, too, when they've checked out the radio show and the, the content and what we cover here and things like that, and I've noticed things drying up for me, too. Uh, could be my confidence, but uh, it, could it could be, be. your co-host. <laughs> I know, but uh, there's a number of things going on. So, and I just say this to our listeners as we get in the material here. Our listeners, if you're experiencing that yourself, I just want to let you know you got good company. Um, when you take a stand for the Lord, it's just like when Joseph was before Potiphar or, or Daniel or others. Uh, there's going to be an impact when you take a Christian stand for what you believe, uh, and you have good company of people. And just like uh, Elijah. You know, uh, he thought he was alone, and God says, look, there are many who have not bowed their knees before Baal. And um, I just want to, to encourage all our listeners, now get get back into the material a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Now, what about your Christian testimony? Uh, can you share us a little bit on, on how you came to know Christ and relationship? Sure, but i, I got to say that uh, throughout my career, I've made leaps of faith where I felt God's hand behind me. And in every case, God has caught me. Mm-hmm. Um, the only time he hasn't is is here with the Georgia Guidestones uh, article, this uh, pursuit that I'm I'm following mm-hmm. now. However, I am absolutely certain uh, that uh, he directed me to the Georgia Guidestones. I don't know what he has right. uh, in store for me, but he has rewarded me throughout my life. Uh, he's taken care of me and my family, I should say, mm-hmm. throughout my life. Uh, we are entering a period of hardship and. But I have to keep faith uh, that mm-hmm. you know this this mm-hmm. is what God wants for us. So, right. uh, regarding my religious beliefs, 
I, I'm an earnest Christian, but that has not always been the case for my nearly 47 years on earth. I'm half white. My father was reputedly a direct descendant of Geoffrey Plantagenet, father of England's House of Plantagenet, which produced a number of monarchs, including, including Richard the Lionhearted. My mother is half Cherokee and half Apache. My father was a brilliant man and often a loving parent, uh, but he was also an alcoholic, a racist, and apparently a Freemason. He almost certainly had my stepfather murdered, and he tried to burn alive all of my family except Whoa. for my, <laughs> my little brother and me. Wow. Yeah, and I, I tell heavy, you all man. this. Yeah, well, <laughs> I tell you all this because my childhood family was violent, unstable, and generally unpleasant, so much so that when I became an adult, I attempted to purge all influences of my upbringing from myself including their superficial Christian beliefs. As an adult, I identified myself as an agnostic for about 15 years. Uh, my conversion to true Christianity was slow. I had searched for truth for most of my life and studied uh, various re religions like uh, Hinduism and Buddhism, Native American stuff, and uh, you know Joseph Campbell mythology, uh, but found uh, truth in none of those pursuits. Although it took uh, several years to manifest, a big influence on me came from the most intelligent man I've ever known, Dr. Thomas Turner, who was head of the physics department at Washtenaw Baptist University. He was a devout Christian and broke a lot of the stereotypes that you know are ingrained in us nowadays about Christians being ignorant and uh, lacking objectivity. Mm -hmm. Dr. Turner was easily the most intelligent man I've ever known. He was a devout Christian. He spoke to me several times about his faith. But at that time, I didn't listen to him. Uh, slowly, over the years, his messages took root in my heart. Uh, I have to also mention Dr. Avery, who was head of the, the physics department at Henderson State University. He was also a sincere Christian, and he, he similarly affected me. I didn't become a real Christian until I met my wife, and we had our, our first child, Flora, in 1997. Out of our love for Flora, we began to search even more deeply for truth, and we found it in Jesus Christ. Uh, we don't attend church. The last church we attended where we felt comfortable was Tex Mars's uh, Bible Home Church in Austin, but that church doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, I discovered that Jesus Christ is the only path to freedom. Uh, if we reject Christ, we are embracing enslavement. That's a, a lesson that our world needs to learn and needs to learn soon. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you so much for sharing that. And mm -hmm. I know the Lord is still writing your testimony, uh, like he is with all of us right now. And for some reason, that chapter in all of our books happened to converge uh, today uh, for us to meet each other. Uh, getting into our material, uh, the subject matter that you've been researching, can you give us a very basic overview of what the Georgia Guidestones comprise in general and their essential elements. I, I don't want you to get into like the the details of what they teach, but what 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 someone would first see is a first cursory look of what it, what it comprises and and maybe the purpose of it. Sure. Nearly ten years ago, I first learned about the Georgia Guidestones through the work of Dr. Stan Monteith. It remained a nagging issue in the back of my mind ever since then. So uh, when I had an opportunity to finally go investigate the Georgia Guidestones myself last November. My goal was to bring the same analytical, scientific, and rigorous approach that I had been using throughout my career. Uh, what I discovered was very disturbing, shocking uh, to me, and, and something that is, is urgent, a message that needs to be delivered urgently. 
the Georgia Guidestones Monument is a large granite structure on top of the tallest hill in Elbert County in northeast Georgia. The Georgia Guidestones Monument is modeled after Stonehenge, the uh, famous prehistoric megalithic site in Wiltshire County, England, that was built about 4,000 to 5,000 years ago. The Georgia Guidestones is, uh, is 5.5 meters tall, or 18 feet tall. Uh, this height is misreported everywhere, uh, mainly because they include um, the support stones, the foundation stones that are completely buried underneath the monument. Uh, I believe that the height of the monument has some numerological significance that we can talk about later. Mm-hmm. The monument weighs about 85 tons, so it's, it's fairly large. The uh, Georgia Guidestones Monument was officially unveiled on March 22, 1980, nearly uh, 30 excuse, years ago. Excuse me, Van, before you get into that, uh, you were given dimensions of height. What about the footprint on the ground, like length and width? Uh, it's, I think I have uh, written down... It, it will fit in a, a square roughly 25 feet by 25 feet. Okay. It's It's not... Gigantic. It's not on the scale of uh, um, Stonehenge. Okay. Sorry to interrupt you there. Just curious. Okay. Um, the Georgia Guidestone Monument was officially unveiled on March 22, 1980, nearly 30 years ago, and it was sponsored by a mysterious man who we'll talk about later who uh, used the pseudonym Robert C. Christian. I believe Robert C. Christian was in actuality Ted Turner, founder of CNN, former owner of the Atlanta Braves, and the Atlanta, Atlanta Hawks, donor of $1 billion to the U.N., ex-husband of Jane Fonda, founder of the Nuclear Threat Initiative, and he was a Kappa Sigma alumnus. He is a Kappa Sigma, Sigma alumnus. The Georgia Guidestones Monument has effect, effectively served as an anonymously sponsored ad for the United Nations predating the Earth Charter and Agenda 21 by decades. Controversy has only escalated over the nearly 30 years the monument has existed where the Masonic and or theosophically inspired structure has been the center of misguided occult activity. The controversy is largely due to the Ten Commandments for a post-apocalyptic world sandblasted with over 4,000 four-inch letters in eight different languages written across eight faces of the four guidestones. Each of the guidestones weighs 21 tons. Uh, They're giant uh, granite slabs. We'll talk about the commandments later, but uh, some of the commandments are vague and relatively innocuous. The first and presumably primary commandment uh, sets world population target of only 500 million, which is mm-hmm. a ridiculous level uh, since there's nearly 7 billion, billion mm-hmm. people in the world today. Yeah, we'll, means- get a, we'll get into that further, but basically they are commandments on what this person thinks is a sustainable world of the future, correct? Yes, but it's uh, his sustainable world is, is uh, explained pretty explicitly in an accompanying book that he released six years later called Common Sense Renewed, mm-hmm. and that world is um, is a totalitarian uh, fascist. Uh, he calls it a new rational world order, and um, so uh, it, the, the sustainability elements. Uh, to call it that, that's uh, a, a gross um, mm-hmm. euphemism. You know, uh, the, the, his his view is very sinister in reality. Now, now, if I understand right, there's a, there's a capstone on top, and then there's vertical uh, stones that are written in, in many of the common current languages and ancient historical languages. 
th these comments. Um, and then are there some other structures there, like a explanatory stone or something else external to these ones that are holding the capstone? Yes. Uh, the uh, Georgia Guidestones are built on a five-point, I think it's almost exactly a five-acre plot, uh, built on the Mel Melano uh, family farm. And uh, there are only two other structures of any sort on that site. One of them is a, a plaque uh, located to the east of the Georgia Guidestones. And uh, to the west is a large granite marker that is supposed to be it's supposed to mark the location of a time capsule. Mm -hmm. uh, I took a um, metal detector and I couldn't detect anything under the uh, uh, the marker stone. I also talked to several people, including um, Wyatt Martin, who was the banker who uh, was the financial intermediary for the monument, and nobody believes that uh, time capsule was ever buried there. In fact, the uh, the Burial date and the opening date for the time capsules are time capsule. Both of those dates are blank, uh, hmm. which is further evidence. But uh, Wyatt hmm. Martin was was certain that a time capsule didn't get buried, and one of the reasons is that he implied that the the man who financed the Georgia Guidestones, and he's the only person in the world, by the way, who knows the true identity of Robert C. Christian. Mm -hmm. He believes that the the finances of, of that man were pinched in the end, and that's why the time capsule didn't get buried. Okay. Well, l l let me ask you, and I know our listeners must be asking this themselves. You said you went there in November. What occurred to make you decide to study the Georgia Guidestones, particularly at this point in time, and focus all the valuable attention that you gave to them at this time? What, what motivated you? Why and why now? Well, uh, mainly... It's just because I had a little bit of time on my hands. Uh, this was November. I knew it was going to be a slow time for my business between that, uh, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, so we left about a week or two before Christmas. Uh, I took three of my daughters, and we uh, just went out to investigate the place. We uh, homeschool our children, so I try to involve uh, our children in, in my work as much as possible. So it's just the fact that the Georgia Guidestones have been a, a nagging um, issue on in, in the back of my mind for many years, something that I wanted to go research myself. Um, beyond that, there, there really wasn't a whole lot more motivating me. Okay. Um, I want to get into the, um, the, the scope of your investigative work on this so far. Um, you said you actually went there. Uh, how long did you stay there, and uh, you interviewed people, correct? What all comprised the scope of your activities while you were there at the Georgia Gadstone? Well, we stayed there for a couple of days, and I interviewed a whole lot of different people uh, involved in the Georgia Guidestone story, including Wyatt C. Martin, who's probably the most important to, to interview since he uh, is the only one who knew uh, Robert C. Christian. I also talked to Mark Clamp. Mark Clamp is the son of Charlie Clamp, the sandblaster who etched all the lettering into the uh, granite monument. Uh, Mark was a very, very friendly guy. He drove us around town, gave us a tour of everything there. Very friendly guy. Um, I uh, spoke to Dr. Gloria Bader Merchant, who has a very interesting history. She's the widow of Dr. Francis Merchant. Uh, Dr. Francis Merchant 
provided a significant portion of the Georgia Guidestones guidebook that's available in the Elberton Granite Museum. Uh, his section of the guidebook uh, tries to defend the different, the ten different commandments that are on the uh, monument. Uh, what's so interesting about the merchants is that they were both uh, involved with Alice A. Bailey's uh, Arcane School. Uh, in fact, they were employed in the uh, Lucius Trust headquarters at the United Nations when the United Nations just started. Wow. Dr. Francis Merchant uh, personally knew Alice Bailey. Uh, and he had been involved with her for a long time. Um, he was, we're going to talk about this later, I believe, mm -hmm. but uh, he was at the top of my list for a long time as the uh, the true identity of, of Robert C. Christian uh, for obvious reasons. Alice A. Bailey, of course, she and her husband uh, formed the Lucius Trust, uh, originally named the Lucifer Publishing Company in the early 1920s. It took them several years to realize that naming an organization mm -hmm. after the devil in, in the United States in the 1920s was a bad idea. Yeah, and I mean, we, we, we changed Lucifer Quake a long time ago. We found, <laughs> just didn't work, <laughs> didn't, on the, go over so didn't work on the Christian station in particular, yeah. I noticed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but she is. Uh, she started off as a, a classical theosophist. Uh, she was a member of uh, uh, Blavatsky's Theosophical Society. Or you know, Madame Blavatsky, uh, Helena Blavatsky, formed the Theosophical Society in the 1800s. Um, Alice A. Bailey came around in the early 1900s, and she and her husband were both um, Theosophical Society buffs, and that's where they they met. However, she started claiming that she was channeling the uh, these truths from mm -hmm. a Tibetan master, and uh, her peers within the Theosophical Society thought her claims were so outrageous that they expelled her, and that's where she, uh, when she and her husband formed the Lucifer Publishing Company. Mm -hmm. Now, these people, if you read about their uh, beliefs, uh, they, they seem completely insane. However, they uh, the Luc the Lucius Trust has incredible power, and uh, it, the Lucius Trust almost certainly is the blueprint for a United Nations uh, global religion. Right. And you, you see well, a lot of their influences in things like the Earth Charter and Agenda right. 21. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, no, still no fan, and even less so now that we've done it, the show about the, uh, the Georgia Guidestones bionic. Well, we don't have much time left, but uh, we've laid the we've, that's okay. We've laid the groundwork for uh, the background of the Georgia Guidestones and our guest involvement with it. And you can let us know what you think by contacting Murph. He'll tell you how to contact us here at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. 
Okay, we got to go. All right, let's get out of here. Okay, come back for the next very interesting installment tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, eating a buffet of truth, bionic. I'm not going to ask where that came from, but it's good to be back with you, ladies and gentlemen, back for the second installment of our interview with the enigmatic Van Smith, uh, the author of Van's Hardware Hardware Journal blog, Mm -hmm. and been writing about the topic of this week we have, which is Unveiling the Antichrist New World Order Plans, Via the Georgia Guidestones, the the mysterious Georgia Guidestones, right out in rural Georgia, yeah, about a hundred miles due east of Atlanta, mm-hmm. that basically had the Ten Commandments of the New World Order. There's all sorts of weird stuff that goes on there in Atlanta. You know, they got the CDC with all them FEMA cough yeah. there, Fort Stewart nearby. Yeah, the Fort Stewart North where they American. go and uh, you know run down. It's the civil mm-hmm. the yeah. civil patrol, if you will. Yeah, plus Army. CNN is there. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And Ted Turner. Yeah. Who we're going to find out has got all sorts of interesting stuff. Yes. And so we need to cut away to it. With no further ado, here's Mr. Van Smith talking about the Georgia Gadstones. And we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Uh, David Spangler is probably one of the most well-known guys that had influence in the United Nations uh, through Lucius Trust and those circles. And particularly in the Vienna office, if I remember right, you know, there's, there's, there's the main center in New York and then they have the, the one in Vienna and they would openly have meetings with all the world delegates there, you know, calling up these spirits and other gods right there from the front, uh, of this place. And a lot of people just don't know that kind of stuff was going on. And, you know, people like Constance Company and others have done a lot of work to document a lot of that. As well, too. So you were hitting somebody who was part of the inner circle, uh, evidently. Excuse yes. the pun with the well, Georgia Gadstones. <laughs> but uh, but uh, it is the the important thing is that these people who were in the inner circle of uh, Alice A. Bailey's um, uh, Lucius Trust, they were in Elberton, and they were involved with the uh, Georgia Guidestones. So that's a pretty interesting link in itself. Yeah, now, no I've read in your research, and I don't want to get distracted from our, our, our structure of our interview, but uh, since you mentioned uh, this person, that, that they claimed that they moved after the Gadstones were built, which still doesn't absolve them of potential connection anyway, but they just say that they, were, they came later. Did they say why they moved to Elberton in particular? Well, she admitted that both her and her husband were fascinated with the Georgia Guidestones, and that was one of the reasons why they moved to Elberton in the first place, just because they admired the monument so much. Miss uh, Merchant, Miss uh, Dr. Gloria Bader Merchant, she was a very convincing, earnest woman, and she talked about her uh, her membership in the local Methodist church. And uh, I got the feeling that after her husband died, uh, in 1981, 1981, he died in January of 1981, um, that uh, her uh, connections with uh, the Lucius Trust and Alice A. Bailey's teachings dissipated over the years. Uh, but at the same time, she was still very defensive of Alice A. Bailey. Um, 
she didn't appreciate the fact that uh, you know I thought uh, Bailey was uh, crazy, <laughs> for mm-hmm. instance. Um, but uh, she did tell me something that was very interesting, and that is uh, when they first moved to Elberton, she noticed that there were books in the local library uh, from Alice A. Bailey. Uh, and uh, she told me that uh, she believed that if we could find out who donated those books to the library, that we would probably find out who uh, Robert C. Christian was. I contacted the library and talked to a couple of different librarians, and not only could they not find the books, but they could find no record of the books ever being there. However, uh, I'm I'm certain that Do- Dr. Gloria Beta Merchant uh, wasn't making a mistake. She she was she sounded very confident confident about those books being there. Um, so somehow they managed to disappear without a trace over the 30 years since then. Amazing, amazing. So, in other words, the scope of what you've done, you, you interviewed uh, this particular woman, you interviewed um, one of the original gentlemen who inscribed the information, uh, the banker himself who was involved, the two people who actually met R.C. Christian, one of which you knew who the real person was. You uh, uh, interviewed the newspaper reporter, uh, right, and um, let's see. I'm trying to remember who else. There was a number of people who you, who you interviewed as part of this. Did you call ahead and schedule all this, or did everything just come together in the two days you were there? No, 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 no. I called a lot of these people on the phone and talked to them. Um, for instance, I talked to Nani Batchelder, who was a psychic uh, who was married at the Georgia Guidestones. Uh, she predicted 30 <laughs> years ago. Yeah. She predicted 30 years ago that the secrets of the monument would would be revealed within 30 years. When I first talked to her, when I first called her up, she hung up on me. She didn't want to talk about mm-hmm. this stuff, but I mm. persisted and called her back. Well, that happens uh, to us, too, but it's usually our guests who do that. Yeah. And hang up on us. I wish the well, I wish the bill collectors would. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, so, but finally she uh, she relented. She did, because uh, when I called her back, the first thing I blurted out was the fact that I had found... This date encoded in the monument, January 4th, 2010, and uh, told her that it uh, coincided with the opening of the Burj Khalifa. At the time, it was Burj Dubai. Um, and I asked her if that's what she was referring to. And she felt, I think, a little bit um, oh, uh, vindicated by that mm-hmm. date, and she was willing to open up to me a little bit. Uh, she she said, yes, uh, that was what she was referring to, although she didn't say how she came to that, you know, that conclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she, she then uh, modified that uh, statement by saying that she, she now feels that uh, these uh, oh, forces are delaying their actions until 2012, I believe. She said something like that. Very interesting. Oh, and, and I also, uh, you know, uh, told her about what I found in Robert C. Christian's book, um, uh, Common Sense Renewed, and uh, she didn't want to believe the things that I, mm-hmm. I told her about the book. Uh, she came to 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 uh, to accept that those you know, were statements of fact, but then she uh, claimed that the book was not produced by the parties behind the Guidestones, whom she considered to be enlightened. Um, but it's very, very hard for her to defend, anybody to defend that position. Mm-hmm. 
You know, it's funny she mentioned the 30 years that it would be unveiled because uh, we're coming up very shortly, what, on the 22nd of March to the 30th anniversary of the Georgia Gadstones? That's right. So things might get very interesting around here in very short notice. Uh, from what I've under, what I've been able to decode in the Georgia Guidestones, things are already interesting. So, mm-hmm. uh, right. and you know, I, I'm, I'm quite concerned about what's going to happen this year. Okay. Wow. Um, so, you, you had an unprecedented experience in a couple of days, and and to my knowledge, is there anybody else you know of that was able to get as much in-depth information as you were able to do in those few days you were there? I believe that my Georgia Guidestones articles constitute the most intensive, uh, exhaustive, comprehensive uh, study of that monument done to date. The second most in-depth article that I've read was uh, done by Wired Magazine about a year ago. Okay. Well, would you tell our listeners how they can get to your blog? I believe it's the December 28th entry was the first one, and then you've had a few updates since then. But how can they get to your blog to read this information? Sure. Uh, my uh, website is www.vanshardware.com, uh, and you can reach it more easily by just typing in mm-hmm. v17.com. That's v17.com. And they can buy they can buy nails and lumber and things like that there at Vans Hardware. <laughs> no, uh, many years ago I was senior editor for Tom's Hardware Guide, which is a huge, uh, gigantic um, computer hardware review site. Mm-hmm. And I left Tom's Hardware and I formed my own website, Vans Hardware. It was once popular uh, itself, very popular. Mm. Uh, but I closed it down for several years, and mm-hmm. our, our traffic just went down to nothing. Okay. In this case, we're talking about granite hardware, uh, basically, yeah. they can read yeah. about uh, at your particular website. I recommend everybody go there. It's an essential primer. And for our Futurians, who are a very well-read group of people, uh, they need to use that to, to understand further what we're going to talk about here. Now, can you take us into the narrative of how someone with this pseudonym you've mentioned, Robert C. Christian, R.C. Christian, approached the stonemasons at Alberton, which they're known as the world suppliers of, of granite stonemasonry, to build this mysterious structure and, and how they designed and oversaw its construction. Can you can you give us a brief narrative of what actually occurred back then? Sure. Uh, as you stated, Elbert County uh, is a huge uh, source of granite. Elberton claims to be the granite capital of the world, and I think they have at least 42 operating quarries inside that county. Um, there is some doubt now that they may have been overtaken by a community in China uh, for granite production, but they nevertheless are, are one of the top two granite production uh, sources in the entire world. Uh, as uh, the story goes, a middle-aged man who was operating under the pseudonym Robert C. Christian uh, walked into Elberton Granite Finishing Company on a Friday afternoon in June 1979. Uh, strangely enough, when he walked in, nobody else talked to him except the president. Everybody else was busy. The company's president was uh, Joe Findlay, who was reportedly a very friendly man that everybody liked, but Almost everybody describes him as a quirky Freemason. Anyway, Joe Fr- mm. Findley was um, busy with payroll, and he greeted uh, Robert C. Christian and started talking to him. Uh, Christian, apparently Findley had a hard time taking Christian seri- seriously at first because he 
started describing a strange, elaborate granite monument uh, that he wanted uh, Finley's company to build. Uh, but as he continued to talk and elaborate on the project's detail, he started describing the dimensions of the project, and that uh, got Finley's attention very quickly. He put down everything he was doing, and he whipped out a calculator. And he also took out, and this is an important detail, he took out a metric conversion table uh, since uh, R.C. Christian reported all of his specifications in meters, uh, which was very unusual for Georgia during the 1970s. So uh, Finley uh, calculated what the cost would be, and then he multiplied it by a factor of roughly three, um, because he wasn't sure whether or not to take this guy seriously. Uh, but when he told uh, Christian his price, he didn't flinch at all. Uh, Finley then carefully explained that uh, no monument that big had ever been built, in, quarried and built out in Elbert County, and that he was going to have to hire consultants, language experts, uh, engineers and astronomers to, to build this, and he's never done anything like that, so his rough estimate uh, couldn't be guaranteed, and the price might a might actually be much higher. Well, Christian still didn't flinch, um, so uh, they continued talking, and then Christian said that he uh, needed a local bank uh, reference to serve as a financial intermediary, and Joe Finley pointed him to his buddy, Wyatt C. Martin, uh, so Christian left his office to go talk to Martin, and as soon as he left, Findlay uh, phoned Martin and told him that a kook was coming over there to talk about building some kind of crazy monument. Uh, this, of course, rattled Wyatt Martin, uh, but uh, his uh, his fears were quickly dispelled when the when Christian walked into his office because he was wearing a very expensive suit of clothes and he. He had an intelligent, articulate demeanor. Um, after introductory pleasantries, Christian uh, recounted his mission to uh, Martin, and then he explained that Robert C. Christian was a pseudonym uh, that he chose supposedly because he was a Christian. Um, Martin, being a banker, of course, was alarmed by the fact that uh, you know this guy was insisting on using a pseudonym. And he told him uh, point blank that he wasn't going to work with him unless he gave him his real identity so he could uh, research his financials uh, to see whether or not he could afford this expensive monument. So uh, Robert C. Christian agreed on the condition that Wyatt Martin would remain um, silent on his true identity uh, for the rest of his life. Uh, Martin agreed to those uh, conditions, and he has not disclosed uh, R.C. Christian's identity to this day, and he is the only person known to have uh, knew Christian's true identity, at least that's the way the uh, story goes. Um, Christian asked Martin to find him five acres of land for the monument. He initially wanted the land to be in Hancock County, supposedly, on a line stretching west from Augusta. However, Martin argued against that location and said Elbert County would be cheaper and easy to, easier to accommodate. Have, Christian, have you ever done any research on that other site, Hancock County? Uh, I went and did some lo looking online to look at GPS coordinates for it, and that latitude is 33.3 degree latitude. What? Which I find very interesting 
which is also the same one that goes through Roswell, uh, New Mexico, and the same latitude that even goes through Mount Hermon over in uh, in Lebanon, north of Israel. Had you had you looked at that at all, or? I had looked at it, but I didn't notice that it was on 33.3 degrees latitude. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Obviously, that's a, a very important Masonic number. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm sorry. Continue. Uh, well, uh, I, I think partially because of finances, he agreed to build the uh, Georgia Guidestones on this five-acre uh, plot uh, from the Molino uh, farm. Uh, Martin liked this plot. It was up on the highest hill in um, Elbert County. Uh, so they purchased the five-acre plot for $5,000, which was quite a bit of money, really. It was undeveloped farmland on October 1st, 1979. Uh, the location is a little over seven miles north of Elberton. Uh, Christian had the land deeded to the county at that time. The monument belongs to the county. The Georgia Guidestones belong to the county. And uh, he simultaneously uh, granted grazing rights to the Molyneux family for at least 20 years. Uh, the land is to remain otherwise undeveloped in natural conditions. However, since that time, uh, for the first 20 years or so, uh, the Georgia Guidestones Monument was open to cattle grazing, and the cows in that area would come and rub themselves up against the granite. And apparently uh, somebody didn't like that, so they built a fence around the uh, Georgia Guidestones area, encompassing about maybe two acres, and that's the way that it is today. Uh, the monument itself has been subjected to a great deal of um, uh, vandalism over the last two years in particular, um, and uh, the county has set up uh, surveillance cameras in that area, wireless surveillance cameras. However, when I was there, those uh, cameras were not powered, so they weren't really accomplishing mm -hmm. anything. Mm -hmm. More like decoys, if anything. Right. Uh, since this was built in 1980, what has been the response from the local community there in Elberton, including the religious community? Well, everybody that I spoke to, including Wyatt Martin, they all told me that none of the churches were happy with the uh, monument being built, although some of the churches were more upset than others. Uh, the Baptist Church didn't make much of a fuss, although um, Mr. Martin told me that some individual Baptists came up to him and, and expressed their uh, dissatisfaction with the, the monument. Uh, one church in particular, I believe, I think it was an Assembly of God, called for it to be dis destroyed. Um, but um, like I said, generally... Uh, the churches in the area did not like the Georgia Guidestones, although only a few of them um, called for their destruction. And I believe the reason why that is is because um, Elbert County probably has one of the highest concentrations of Freemasons in the world because uh, you know their economy is based on the granite business. They have a lot of stone cutters and sandblasters and other people who are traditionally Freemasons. You know, Freemasonry was born out of uh, a Masonic guild, right. uh, a, a Masonry guild, uh, and Freemason. I mean, uh, Stonemasons still form a, uh, a significant uh, uh, core of of that uh, organization. Now, now the people who were the key people who uh, constructed it, they the, have you documented that they were Freemasons as well too? The people closest yeah. to the project. 
Yeah, yeah. I, uh, the uh, Georgia Guidestones has a uh, an associated guidebook that's available in the uh, Elberton Granite Museum. And in the back, they list a lot of the people who worked on the um, on the monument, and just about everybody who who touched the monument uh, were Masons, were Freemasons. Uh, Joe Finley himself, uh, like I mentioned earlier, was a particularly mm-hmm. enthusiastic Freemason. He was right. a 32nd degree Freemason 10 years before uh, the monument was was built, and uh, since that time he had become a Shriner. Um, which, of course, you know, only allows high-ranking Freemasons in, into their organization. All right. Well, now, did you happen to see any of the Masonic lodges while you were there? Uh, well, I didn't go to any Masonic lodges, although I saw evidence of Freemasonry. Pretty, it's pretty common in that area. For instance, the uh, uh, community center, which is built of granite, almost everything is built of granite in uh, Elbert. Elberton, it's kind of interesting. They have a gigantic football stadium. I think it's mm-hmm. 22,000 uh, si- seat uh, football stadium for uh, a town that's only like 5,000. Um, it's made completely out of granite, and this uh, community center is made out of granite. It has a very large uh, uh, Freemason uh, plaque on the side of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so if the Lord also- ta- if the Lord tarries and uh, archaeologists, you know, find all these places in the future, they'll probably think Elberton was one of the most important cities and religious shrines in our culture because they're going to see this enormous football stadium that survived being built of granite. <laughs> it's going to have sort of a disproportionate <laughs> world history influence of Elberton when they find it one day. But, uh, An indestructible I, football stadium. I, I'm like you. I, I'm thinking things are going to come to a head a little bit before it, it, things would, would ever come to that. Uh, at that point, so I, I was just wondering if you'd ever had an opportunity to, you know, talk to the uh, some of the leaders and some of the lodges, and if they had any opinions about the Godstones or the significance, or if you've read if they've ever commented on it. Uh, well, uh, I talked to Mark Clamp. I didn't ask him specifically if he was a Freemason, although he talked about the Masons. He brought them up himself, mm-hmm. and his father is a known uh, Freemason. Uh, Charlie Clamp, the man who sandblasted all the letters into the mm-hmm. monument. Um, Charlie uh, 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 Mark Clamp defended the monument in a, in typical style for most people in that area. Uh, he was saying, you know, I knew all the people who worked on this monument, and they were all good Christians and good Freemasons, and none of them would do anything, uh, you know, that was evil right. or untowards. If they had suspected anything was bad, however, that's not completely true. Uh, because his father himself reported that when he was uh, sandblasting the, the words into the capstone, saying, let these uh, be uh, guidestones to a new age of reason, age of reason, he said that when he was uh, sandblasting that into the uh, capstone, he heard uh, disjointed voices and strange music. Uh, so, um, you know, coming from his own father, uh, even there was evidence that people sensed mm-hmm. that the monument was evil at that mm-hmm. time as it was being built. Of course, that never stopped anybody from still getting the job done. Uh, no, so, of course, so disembodied, you so, know, so no what if, So what if it commands people to get rid of 93% of the population and they hear disembodied voices? That's probably no sign anything evil was going on there. Uh, 
sort of switching gears here into the significance and the meaning of it, can you tell us the over? You, you just sort of briefly alluded to it. What's on the uh, the the special top stone on it that has a special name? But the overall title inscription uh, and what what does the writing actually say is the purpose of the gadstones uh, expressed on on the stones and the, the structures? What was it intended to accomplish by those writings? Well, the capstone itself says, let these be guidestones to an age of reason. And uh, that is written in four different ancient languages. Sanskrit, which is the source of the Aryan legends. Uh, Babylonian cuneiform, uh, which was used by King Nimrod when his crews were erecting the Tower of Babel. Classical Greek, which was the language used by Pythagoras in his mystery religion, and Egyptian hieroglyphics, which, of course, is the source of Osiris and Isis and Horus and Mithrian beliefs. Um, all of these are very, very important to Freemasonry. It's just another piece of evidence that the Freemasons have uh, were behind it. Uh, there's more evidence to support that, too. Uh, there were phrases used in R.C. Christian's writing, like being square with eternal principles, calling for a new rational world order. Those things are most commonly associated with Freemasonry. We're back at the Future Quake show with Dr. Future and Tom Dan with the Guidestones Bionic. Hmm. Well, we got a lot more details this time Yeah. on uh, what happened. we got the narrative of the mysterious R.C. Christian mm-hmm. that came and uh, approached uh, these gentlemen to build this structure. Well, I tell you, that would be a really weird conversation. You're there doing payroll, and yeah. somebody walks in and says, I need an 84-ton stone monument with some holes in the top to let the sun through, and mm-hmm. I can want to see the equinox, and I want it written in these four languages. And I want I wanted to say that we got to get rid of 93% of the world's population mm-hmm. in one language. Now, these were supposedly church-going folk that that did this. So... Can you imagine why they never thought there'd be an issue? Is this really a sign of the church today and how they're so confused and, you know, well, ignorant of Bible kind of stuff that they don't sure. see that they're faced with something of spiritual darkness right at the end of their nose? Yeah, well, no, I think that's a very salient point. You know, so much evil happens just right in front of their faith. Face, yeah, right in front of their faith. <laughs> yeah, right, that too. Yeah, and it and it and uh, they just sort of wash over it, you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess it could happen in a lot of communities. You know, Francis Schaeffer said that usually the church is 15 to 20 years behind the times on certain uh, social and philosophical movements and is constantly yeah. playing catch-up. Yeah, theology is the last phase of society. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very salient point. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Well, someone else who's salient is our friend Merv, who can tell everybody how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. Well, let's get it. Messaline, I didn't mean like salty. I was going to say, does he float? Or? No. <laughs> well, we got to go.
So come okay, back tomorrow for our next edition of Future Quake. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Ciao. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, not a widow's son, Bionic. Oh. Always these references from off off air. Yep. Um, speaking of that, we, we hear a lot of free <laughs> Freemason references in the topic we're having this week. Uh, now that we're entering our third installment with Mr. Van Smith, who uh, is the author of Van's Hardware Journal blog, but has be- begun writing on some new research he's doing about our topic of unveiling the Antichrist's New World Order plans via the Georgia Guidestones. And uh, it's sort of classic future quake kind of material. Van has done some incredible work, I think cutting-edge work. And uh, what, what else do you have to say, That's He's pretty amazing, really. He's really yeah. done his homework. He's very salient, very logical. Yeah. Obviously a, obviously a mind that's uh, engineering, much like yours, you know? Oh. Like you two guys could... Take that together to do a project or something. Yeah, take that as a compliment. Yep. That's Maybe good. build the uh, Burj. Uh, what yep. was that? What's the name of that building? I don't know. The Cobb Barrage or something. I just blanked out. Well, anyway, you all enjoy it. Here's the third segment. Until then, we'll be right back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. These things seem like they're lifted right out of the writings of Thomas Paine, too. Well, uh, when you talk about Thomas Paine, uh, some people try to associate it with common. I mean, uh, yeah, common sense. Which well, or, or pamphlet, right. The book after uh, that, actually, that he wrote, I thought was more more related to it. Absolutely, Age of Reason. Yes, common sense was specific to the American Revolution and talked about uh, rebelling against King George. Uh, it it wasn't uh, a personal um, uh, book. He wrote common sense uh, afterwards. I believe it was about the same time as the French Revolution. And in that, he revealed his uh, virulently anti-Christian uh, beliefs. And uh, he uh, was eventually ostracized by uh, Americans, and he died in poverty. Right, yeah, but, they would actually yell at him and holler at him anywhere he went because he he basically just threw out all organized religion as being evil, correct? And he really lifted up rationality and reason as really the the paramount goal of humanity, correct? That's true. And uh, his friend in uh, France, Rose-Pierre, tried to, I think, um, implement a lot of uh, his ideas. And uh, it's, I think few people know this, but Rose-Pierre, <clears throat> none of these people are, are atheists, by the way. They believe in a deity. They just don't believe in our God, or they, or they loathe our God. Um, mm-hmm. Robespierre, he, uh, toward the end of his reign in France, and of course he implemented the reign of terror where heads were rolling on the streets of Paris right. uh, daily. Yeah, um, he, he put into place that part about getting the population down. He was very good at that, and, and they had a sort of a fondness of creating their own gods, didn't they? Didn't they create a, a goddess, Liberty? That was the new god to be worshipped. Well, and they even they even changed the calendars and those right. the way that the days and the weeks were the, denoted. The times and yeah. the seasons yeah, were it changed. Was wild. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, they went they went to that length so that people couldn't know when Sunday was to to worship uh, Christianity. 
but you know the most perverse thing that they did of all is uh, Robespierre uh, dressed himself up like a god and um, appeared in this uh, giant ceremony they had with an elaborate set and and he positioned himself as a new deity for the people. It was a, you know extremely bizarre. But shortly after that, he was beheaded. So that came to a, an abrupt end. Yeah, easy come, easy go, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but but that, but that that's very important though. What he was trying to do uh, was establish a state where uh, mankind can become God, and he was trying to elevate himself to that position at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to find out that the Georgia Guidestones is all about doing exactly that. Well, uh, speaking of the Guidestones, the things they're most famous for, and I guess the crux of it, are the commandments for humanity listed on the Guidestones. Can you can you give us an introduction to what those commandments actually are and why it really captures people's attention? Sure. Well, uh, not all of the the commandments are offensive. Most uh, most of them are fairly vague and uh, nebulous. But there are uh, several of them that are uh, uh, definitely uh, offensive to almost everybody. For instance, maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. Well. Uh, like we've already said, that would mean killing 6.5 billion people on the earth. They would have to go away. And you have to, you have to keep in mind all the time that the Georgia Guidestones were built express, expressly as a post-apocalyptic guide. Uh, they were intended to be a guide for a world after an apocalypse where 500 million would seem like an, an attainable and reasonable world population target. Um, so, uh, you know, it, we'll talk about the apocalypse later, but uh, the, the apocalypse appears to be a uh, planned event by the people who established the Georgia Guidestones. Mm. Uh, anyway, that's, that's number one. Of course, that, it doesn't tell you about that apocalypse, but you can infer, mm-hmm. the, infer that later. Number two is guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. Well, that uh, sounds like eugenics. Right. And if you if, if you read uh, Robert C. Christian's book, he absolutely meant uh, eugenics. He he was a uh, a um, energetic proponent of uh, eugenics policies. Uh, number three is unite humanity with a living new language. That, of course, brings to mind, to Christians, most Christians, the uh, Tower of Babel. Um, And as I studied the Georgia Guidestones, I realized that that's exactly what it was referring to. It was trying to, well, we'll talk about that later, I guess. Number four is rule, passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. Well, that doesn't sound too bad, except... Basically, he wants to disarm all religious faiths. Uh, it's what's happened to our uh, world in the 30 years since the Georgia Guidestones have been uh, built. Um, Christians, many Christians have been disarmed because they've been told that, you know, they have to be tolerant of uh, behavior, tolerant of other religions, except that their truth is not the only truth. Uh, this is a kind of sophism that is uh, exposed in Robert C. Christian's book, but uh, that is um, 
encapsulated in, in this fourth commandment, rule, passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. Uh, number five is protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Well, that sounds fine, <laughs> right? Uh, let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Now, this suggests a global government. And right. if, you, yeah, if you read his book, um, he goes straight to the point. He, he believes that a world government needs to be implemented. Uh, number seven is avoid petty laws and useless officials. Who would disagree with that? Um, eight is balance personal rights with social duties. This is much more sinister than what it sounds here. Uh, sounds like here, um, Robert C. Christian wants to implement a world where you really don't have any rights. You are uh, granted privileges based on uh, your services rendered to the state, and that's what this commandment really means. Uh, number nine is completely uh, garbage. Prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. Uh, I mean, that's everybody does that or, or wants to do that, or you know, that's that's just a basic human nature. Uh, be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. Uh, well, that's that's part. That's sort the, of a, a. These are phrases we hear over and over again in our society today about Mother Earth, Gaia, how we're pushing her out with our development, with other kind of things that are going on. And and she's been virtually deified even in our schools. Uh, I know in schools I know of today, even around here, you can take ecology as a substitute for biology or chemistry. And when you get into details, a lot of it is just political information disguised as science. Uh, but but there becomes a religious component to it as well. And when you mention things about the infinite, what's conspicuously missing is this comment of a personal God. True. Uh, when they talk about the infinite, the key is who are the people defining who the infinite is? Who are the people with the keys that get to make those calls on uh, what is sacred and what is not sacred in this world uh, that they foresee? But uh, the plans are there, and they're very explicit, aren't they? They don't, they're, they're, they're not covering these, these up. Of course, they may be covering up the ramifications on what it yeah. takes to get to 500 million, uh, what it takes to get to, to, to one language. But uh, as you mentioned, the Tower of Babel, that was probably the closest scenario we had to an Antichrist uh, situation in prior history where you had Nimrod basically leading all the people of Earth to do battle against God. And God said, if we don't intervene now, there's nothing that they can't do if we don't do that till the languages are confused. So it seems like they forever had this goal to reverse that activity, to unite everybody, unite their languages, unite with the spiritual forces they had and... And uh, you feel like that is that is imminent, correct? Unfortunately, I I believe that it is imminent. I believe that the uh, the uh, makers of the Georgia Guidestones uh, plan very much to well, you know that they've they've uh, erected their new Tower of Babel, and and this this harkens in uh, uh, their new world order. And uh, the first thing that they're going to do, I mean, by erecting their Tower of Babel. They want to create a state on earth where man can become God, uh, and the first person that they're going to elevate to that status is going to be their Antichrist, mm -hmm. and that's going to happen soon. Well, I know we need to move along and scoot, scoot to that punchline, but can you very briefly mention about 
the astronomical features. They, they, they use sacred geometry at this as well, too, to see key figures, stars, and things like that as well, too, just like the, the Great Pyramid in Egypt and Stonehenge, correct? Yes, that's absolutely true. Uh, there are four primary astronomical-slash-astrological functions, and as you know, astrology is very important to Freemasonry and theosophy. Uh, the first uh, function is the marking of the four seasons, which is accomplished through a horizontal slot in the central stone, also called the Nomen Stone. This central stone, this central slot, uh, will identify both the winter and summer summer solstices, as well as the spring and fall equinoxes. Um, Interesting. Yes, and that's uh, of course vitally important to pagan. The uh, the monument was expressly inspired by Stonehenge. Robert C. Christian made no bones about that, and Stonehenge was erected by a, a Druid culture, and uh, marking the four seasons was a primary function of Stonehenge, and it remains a very important uh, uh, time uh, cycle for pagans today, as well as Freemasons and, and Theosophists. Um, the second function is uh, this um, North Star sighting hole, uh, which allows uh, you to gaze through this tube, tubular hole um, that is uh, drilled widthwise through the Nomen Stone and see the uh, North Star Polaris at any time when it's dark, of course. Uh, this is particularly important to Freemasonry as well. Albert Pike reported in his book, Morals and Dogma of the Ancient and Accepted Scottish Rite of Freemasonry, uh, this. He said, the North Star, always fixed and immutable for us, represents the point in the center of the circle or the deity in the center of the universe. And I'm pretty sure after reading uh, Morals and Dogma that when he's talking about the deity in the center of the universe, he's talking about Lucifer because he openly venerates Lucifer many times in Morals and Dogma. Uh, some Freemasons try to defend Albert Pike and say that the Lucifer he's talking about is not Satan, but that is completely disingenuous because Albert Pike explicitly says that Lucifer is Satan. He, he mm-hmm. removes any doubt. Um, but uh, going on, he with his quote, he said, uh, it is the especial symbol of duty. He's talking about Polaris, the North Star. It is the especial symbol of duty and faith to it and the seven that continually revolve around it. Mystical meanings are attached, which you, you will learn hereafter if you should be permitted to advance when you are made acquainted with the philosophical doctrines of the Hebrews. And when he's talking about the seven that continually revolve around it, I at first thought he was talking about the other members in Ursa Minor, the Little Dipper. However, there are only six other stars in that constellation. Uh, I'm pretty sure that what he is referring to obliquely uh, are the seven stars in uh, Pleiades, the seven sisters. And if you read the apocryphal book of Enoch, um, some people consider the book of Enoch to be the earliest book written by anybody. It was written by the grandfather of uh, Noah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's come up a number of times on our show. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a, a particularly important book to occultists for a variety of reasons. But uh, in the book of Enoch, uh, God 
imprisons uh, Satan and the uh, fallen angels uh, in Pleiades. That's where they're supposed to be today. Now, is and that is that a pseudonym for Tartarus? You know, that's referred to in the book of Jude, where these the angels who left their first estate are imprisoned? Some people believe that. I, I, personally, I can't. I can't equate the two, but uh, some people do believe that. Okay. All right. You know, something I found very interesting about, that a place that reminds me of the things you just talked about, and I know those are just some of the astronomical things related to this, uh, is that similar kind of things can be viewed like Polaris. If I'm Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the King's Chamber in the Great Pyramid of Egypt has a similar uh, you know, shafts that can do things. I may have that confused with the Queen's Chamber, but I believe the King's Chamber can do that. And it actually is constructed of granite as well, too. It's completely lined in granite. and has a granite sarcophagus in the center of it, which, um, you know, granite was always assumed in the ancient world to be uh, something with death and actually holding uh, a spirit that they thought would be resurrected. That it housed something almost like if it had had a mortal head wound and would rise again. So it was always synonymous with the with the death and rise again, whether it's Osiris or whoever it was. But um, the dimensions, if I understand, I've read right about the King's Chamber, would fit right within pretty much the footprint of the Georgia Guidestones. Uh, I think that chamber is also 18 feet tall, roughly, mm-hmm. uh, in about the same dimensions as what you mentioned. It may be closer to say a, a 15 by 30 or something like that. But I just find it uncanny that they were also used to line up with the North Star and these other dimensions and and built out of similar materials and of similar scale. Well, the Freemasons derive a lot of their belief systems from the ancient Egyptians. So, um, uh, you know, it it really shouldn't be that surprising that they were inspired by the Great Pyramids. Mm -hmm. Are there any other notable features about the structural elements of the whole memorial? Uh, you, you mentioned that it had a, a separate marker that had a cap that had a uh, a time capsule that, to our knowledge, doesn't exist or was preempted maybe for some point. Any other kind of information that was inscribed there that's useful for us to know? Well, there are two more uh, astronomical astrological functions that I didn't get to. Uh, one was marking the sun's noontime position. There's a hole drilled through the capstone that allows the sunlight, the sun, to shine through onto the gnomon stone. Uh, supposedly, you're able to identify what day of the year it is by where that uh, that spot of sunlight hits the gnomon stone. However, there are no marks along the gnomon stone to, to allow, well, to aid in that function. So mm-hmm. that's sort of a dubious, uh, dubious statement. Um, the final function of the Georgia Guidestones, the astronomical, astrological function, uh, are that the uh, four guide stones themselves set the limits for the 18.6-year lunar declination cycle, which is also called the lunar standstill. Um, that is a particularly important cycle for uh, neo-pagans, and I believe that it was also marked in Stonehenge. Uh, the uh, lunar declination cycle, uh, if you go outside and you watch the moon go around the Earth uh for months on end, and you've got to know this. This is an aside, but I, you know, I have a degree in physics, so these little things bug me. The sun, the moon doesn't really go around the Earth. Um, I wrote a uh, 
physics simulation that's included in a benchmark uh, called Open Source Mark that I've written, uh, and it shows this very clearly. The moon actually um, orbits around the sun and is is pulled in an S-shaped orbit around the Earth by a series of gravitational boosts and and drags. So the the moon is not really going around the Earth, but it's it's following this S-shaped orbit that repeats uh, around the Earth as the Earth. Uh, goes around the sun. Okay, but in, anyway, if you watch the the moon up in the sky month after month, you'll find out that it doesn't track the same path each month. But in fact, it moves across the sky and it makes a full cycle in 18.6 years, and that, that's called the lunar declination cycle. And and the limits of the lunar declination cycle are marked by the orientation of the four guide stones, uh, and that's the fourth and final uh, function. Hmm. It's funny that 18.6 you mentioned is very close to the 19.7 that the uh, Mayans use in their calendar for, uh, uh, but they use this on a yearly basis, you know, for major events that occur. Uh, Tom Horn talked about that on our show a little bit. Um, well, it, it's known that uh, um, a variety of different American and uh, Indian civilizations knew about the uh, lunar declination cycle and they marked it. Can you comment a little bit more about this book that you mentioned that R.C. Christian, it's at least reported that he wrote it. It has his name on it. Uh, it was in the library at Alberton. Uh, I guess it was sent out to other political leaders and others. Can, can you mention any other thing that would be important for our listeners to know that sheds light on what he really intended by those commandments? Yes. Uh, Robert C. Christian published a book in 1986 six years after uh, the opening of the Georgia Guidestones. And in that book, Common Sense Renewed, he expounded upon uh, the ten dictums on the Georgia Guidestones. And he removed pretty much any doubt what he meant by those uh, those ten commandments. Um, and, uh, you know, his uh, statements are so direct that, uh, like I mentioned earlier, Nani Batchelder and other supporters of the Georgia Guidestones uh, have a um, very difficult time admitting to themselves that this is what the Guidestones were for, the Guidestones Monument. Um, Christian, in this book, he uh, expressed his vision for the future, and uh, that is a totalitarian world order where the most sacred act of humanity, procreation, is uh, completely controlled and regulated by the state for eugenics purposes, purposes that include selective breeding to modify human behavior, like as in dogs, increasing docility and loyalty. Children in uh, Christian's world order are property of the state, and the, desta- the state decides where and how they are reared. God-given rights, as I mentioned earlier, are replaced with state-bestowed privileges that are granted only temporarily for services rendered to the state. Suffrage, the right to vote, is limited to the few whom the state considers worthy. Health care is rationed according to your value to the state, with only the elite receiving access to the most valuable life-saving and extending medical services. If you lose your job, you become property of the state to be shipped anywhere labor is needed. If you refuse, uh, you will be starved, and you'll have no access to health care and doubtlessly a lot worse because uh, Robert Christian wants most of us dead, and the remaining survivors will be treated more like cattle than men. Uh, 
women and children in, uh, in his new rational world order. And that, again, is a term that he uses over and over in his book, um, Common Sense Renewed. Um, so uh, also there is this, this issue about population reduction uh, and, uh, you know, whether or not he's he established, he put this um, monument up uh, in case there was some sort of apocalyptic event, you know, like a nuclear world war that was outside of anybody's control or, or you know, some sort of uh, disease or something like that. Um, but uh, the, the monument was explicitly constructed as a guide to a post-apocalyptic world. And uh, given the connections that we're going to talk about in a few minutes with uh, the Burj mm-hmm. Khalifa, we can safely assume that this apocalypse is actually planned by this group. Uh, and and, and they, they plan to reduce global populations to a level where 500 million will seem like it mm-hmm. is a rational, achievable level. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot of tools at their disposal they can do uh, to to create disasters, natural disasters, real or simulated, uh, all sorts of wars and crises, uh, much like what you read in the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse in Revelation. At their disposal, they can create a nightmare environment that justifies those kind of draconian things. And the the key is not just the population reduction, but those who survive will be under such a tightly controlled uh, lifestyle under a ruling elite who decides what's best for the state. Individual rights are meaningless anymore. Uh, From the fact of how you were born, who were your parents, uh, how long you live, what vocation you choose, all of that will be dictated by groups. And this has been in the writing from guys like Cecil Rhodes, uh, a lot of your popular writers like uh, Aldous Huxley, H.G. Wells. Uh, all of these people have supported this through all the years, uh, and it's really coming It's really coming true. Uh, and if you see documentaries like Endgame by Alex Jones and a number of other productions, you can actually see this is a plan that is unfolding and being put together, and they're following that plan to the letter uh, that, that, that you're, you're mentioning here. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, probably not too big of a friend of R.C. Christian, Bionic. Oh, don't tell me you all aren't good buddies. No, I mean, unless you're him. And even then, I'm going to have to now, do Who knows show. about Pyro? Yeah, Pyro? Could be uh, what do you got? Rover Collie Christian. <laughs> um, well, we covered a lot of material here. Um, ev- evidently, these guys want to get rid of 93% of us, roughly, mm-hmm. and uh, have one language. World government. I've been trying to get a ninety rid of ninety three percent of myself by jogging every night. Yeah, juicing stuff. Juicing. Yeah. yeah. Well, seriously, any thoughts you have on the the content we covered here? I think it's ridiculous that that more Christians don't pay attention to this stuff. But it really, it really is. Even a, in Alberton, where are the Christian churches in Alberton? You know what else I found fascinating was that Masonry is still really entrenched within the stone Masonry. Yeah, society there in Alberton. Well, and it seems to coexist with the churches there, and that's the to me the real disturbing thing. Yeah, that's scary, isn't it? Something else disturbing is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us here at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. 
Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, that's it. Let's hit it. We've got one more segment tomorrow. Please come back and check it out with Van Smith. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Ciao. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom uh, Bionic. No middle name. Was a uh, part of the middle name? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, this is Dr. Future uh, coming back with you for our last installment this week, our interview with the uh, wonderfully interesting Van Smith, mm-hmm. uh, author uh, over at Van's Hardware Journal blog, uh, talking about what you normally hear at a Hardware Journal blog, Unveiling the Antichrist, <laughs> New World Order Plans via and, the uh, Georgia Guidestones. Satanic Guidestones, yeah. That's right, the Georgia Guidestones, mm-hmm. uh, right there in the heartland of America in the Deep South, a testimony to the Antichrist New World Order schemes, and that's what he's been talking about this week. Uh, we, we closed yesterday where he talked about the book that R.C. Christian wrote, who evidently paid for the building of the Georgia Guidestones, that uh, makes no qualms about selective breeding of people, trying to breed out undesirable races, mm-hmm. trying to keep population down to a bare minimum to basically serve an elite and to serve their purposes. Yeah. So what a wonderful future we have here. But if you're going to do anything about it, you've got to know about it first. And yep. That's uh, if, there's, us. if there's anything we can do about it, if it's uh, if we have time, if the Lord tarries for a while, then we have a duty with what we know. So here's the last installment with uh, Brother Van Smith, and we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. In our in our last segment, uh, we have two important things to talk about, uh, and one of them is this identity of R.C. Christian. Could you give us a little bit of your thoughts on who you think this R.C. Christian actually is and why? Well, among most of the people that I talk to, the uh, number one candidate on their list for R.C. Christian was Joe Findlay himself, the uh, the man who ran Elberton Granite Finishing Company and uh, the guy who oversaw the building of the uh, the monument. Uh, like I mentioned, Joe Findlay was an uh, enthusiastic Freemason, and that would explain all the Masonic, uh, uh, Masonically inspired features that are in the, the Georgia Guidestones. Um, however, uh, several people also expressed to me that they didn't think that uh, Joe Findlay had the necessary uh, scientific knowledge to design the astronomical features of the, uh, the monument nor did he have the writing ability to uh, pin uh, common sense renewed. Uh, on the other hand, Joe Findlay did absolutely benefit from the Georgia Guidestones. Uh, he used the, uh, the uh, wave of um, media attention to sweep him into office as mayor in Elberton later in 1980. Um, however, I talked to... Uh, Wyatt Martin, and uh, he said that he thought that um, Joe Findlay may have lost money on uh, uh, on the uh, monument, but in fact he was not um, 
Robert C. Christian, Wyatt Martin is the only man who everyone acknowledges as being the only person who knows the true identity of Robert C. Christian. And he told me that, you know, 30 years ago he had made this vow to uh, Robert C. Christian that he would never divulge his identity. And uh, he says he's going to try to stay true, true to that to, to this date. Uh, however, he said he can tell me that uh, Joe Finley uh, was not Robert C. Christian. And when I talked to Wyatt Martin, uh, I got to say that he's a, a, a very um, uh, sincere and devout uh, Christian man himself. Uh, he, he comes over as being a good, decent human being. Um, but he also was clearly not, not one, he wasn't a Freemason, and two, he wasn't interested at all in any of the Masonic or theosophical or other philosophical implications of the monument. He wasn't interested in it at all. He just viewed it as a banker viewed, views things. Um, so, um, and he apparently hasn't thought about it much over the, the past 30 years. Amazing. But, but the, the, the thing that I'm really trying to get across is that uh, I, I believed him when he told me that Joe Finley was not um, – uh, R.C. Christian. He said it in a very sincere way. Um, I then progressed to my uh, number two candidate, and that is uh, Francis Merchant, Dr. Francis Merchant, whom I mentioned earlier in this interview. Uh, Dr. Merchant, as, as I said earlier, uh, had direct ties with Alice A. Bailey's Lucius Trust. They worked. He and his wife uh, met in the offices of the Lucius Trust. I believe uh, they were in the United Nations at the time. Um, he uh, he uh, wrote a large portion of the Georgia Guidestones guidebook and defended the uh, Ten Commandments uh, in such a way to make it very clear that it was a personal thing for him. Uh, however, when I talked to uh, Dr. Gloria Bader Merchant, as, as we mentioned earlier, uh, they didn't move to Elberton until six months after the monument had been opened. And she said the reason for moving to Elberton in the first place was inspired by the fact that the Georgia Guidestones were in that area. Um, she she st said very, very uh, definitively to me that uh, Dr. Francis Merchant was not Robert C. Christian. Uh, however, I um, left that interview believing that there was a possibility that uh, – that Dr. Francis Merchant could have gotten away for a day or two uh, mm -hmm. <clears throat> to orchestrate these things, and perhaps he channeled some money from the Lucius Trust to accomplish this. Uh, and you also have to know know that uh, the um, the uh, different languages th there were eight different languages on the guidestones themselves, and four different archaic languages on the on the capstone, and it's publicly known that the United Nations was enlisted to provide this translation and transliteration service uh, for the monument. That's, that's well known. And, of course, if uh, Francis Merchant was involved, he would have connections in the United Nations through the Lucius Trust to get this done. Um, however, Wyatt Martin told me, first of all, when I brought up Francis Merchant, he acted like he didn't know him, and he seemed pretty sincere mm -hmm. about that. And then when I, uh, I brought up his contribution to the guidebook, 
he he vaguely recalled who he was. Uh, he then told me that uh, he had uh, arranged for United Nations uh, language support himself through a uh, local Pakistani doctor, I believe, um, who huh. had connections with the Pakistani ambassador in the United Nations. Uh, so that would explain the uh, United Nations language help. Uh, right. You know, it's, it's a strange set of connections that way, but that, that's what he claimed. Um, <clears throat> so, and I, you know, I, we have those two testimonies. We have testimonies from uh, uh, Dr. Gloria Beta Merchant, who was adamant when she stated that Dr. Francis Merchant was not R.C. Christian. And then when I asked uh, uh, Wyatt Martin point blank about uh, Francis Merchant, he answered me in exactly the same way he answered me with... Uh, Joe Findlay, he said, well, I can also tell you that uh, Dr. Francis Merchant was not R.C. Christian. Well, and then uh, the uh, conversation that I was having with him uh, forked, and he spent uh, several minutes talking about a variety of other topics, including recounting the original creation story or his version mm-hmm. of the creation story of the Guidestones Monument. And that took about 30 minutes. And when, the, uh, when he paused... I uh, tried to get the conversation back on track, and I was going to ask him about my third candidate. But before I, I brought up my third third candidate, I wanted to make sure that he even knew who he was. So I asked him, I said, do, do you know who um, Ted Turner is? And and he uh, said, oh, uh, I know Ted Turner. And, and I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I said, I said I, I'm hmm. sorry. Uh, you know Ted Turner? He said, oh, yeah, I've, I've known Ted Turner for years. Um, I, I'll get back well, to I mean, I'm well, assuming that most of the people of a town like Alberton would know, uh, you a know, big, a billionaire. He's a big Alberton guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that was probably pretty common for a town like Alberton to have people running around with Ted Turner. Did he explain that connection? or? Well, yeah, he, he did. Um, he, well, he sort of explained the, the connection. He said that he had a, a box seat at the Atlanta Braves. And at the time, of course, Ted Turner owned the Atlanta Braves, mm-hmm. where he sat directly behind Ted Turner for years. Uh, and, uh, of course, this is pretty incriminating. At this time, when he was recounting all this information for uh, for me, and I felt guilty about this because um, I, I felt like I was getting this information from him through a disingenuous mm-hmm. method. I wasn't trying to trap him. I, I just truly brought up. It sounds like he was trapping himself. Well, you were just following up, you know, on a comedy made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I just wanted to know first of all if he knew who Ted Turner was, and and then he, he just he just started blurting all this information out uh, that uh, you know he knew him for years, and that he sat behind him in the box seat at the Atlanta Braves for for many years, and he knew him so well that uh, when his nephew tried to call up Ted Turner very recently, uh, Ted Turner hung up on him. And uh, Mr. Martin was uh, obviously hurt by that fact uh, when he was he was recounting mm-hmm. this. Hmm. Uh, you didn't but, happen to get Ted's number from him, did you? <laughs> That'd been no. handy. Um, but uh, then I I said, uh, well, uh, you know, Ted Turner is uh, you know it, it's very uh, interesting that you happen to know Ted Turner because he's the number three person on my list for. Uh, R.C. Christian, and he acted very uncomfortable, and he denied that Ted Turner was R.C. Christian, and then he quickly changed the topic. 
and didn't let me answer any ask any other questions for the remainder of the interview. Um, actually, I got one other question in, and, and that is, um, did he ever bring up uh, the Georgia Guidestones in all the years that he knew him? Mm -hmm. and, and he said, no, no, we didn't talk about the Georgia Guidestones at all, mm -hmm. uh, which is hard to believe because Mr. Martin's claim to fame is the fact that he was the only man who knew R.C. Christian who uh, funded this monument, a monument that Ted Turner obviously knew about. Uh, Ted mm -hmm. Turner, the reason that I suspected him, I had him on my list, is that over the years he's made a number of public statements that are almost directly taken verbatim from yeah, uh, right. the yeah. Georgia Guidestones. Including the 500 million people for a population. Right. In a... Uh, uh, interview with uh, Audubon magazine in the middle 1990s, mid 1990s, he said that um, uh, he saw a population target of 250 to 300 million uh, worldwide as, uh, uh, as 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 a, as a desirable goal for us, uh, a 95 percent reduction of uh, the, the the population at that time, and. Uh, you got to notice that if you read this book, um, Common Sense Renewed, as an addendum to that book, Robert C. Christian uh, notes that um, the initial 500 million population target that he had set on the Georgia Guidestones, he believed that that might have been actually too high. So even at this book, six years later, you already see this downward trajectory for his population goal, mm -hmm. and uh, that continues to Ted Turner's statement in the mid 90s uh, in this interview. Uh, a couple of years ago, however, he did revise his his uh, his target upward to two billion. Uh, you know, uh, whether that was sincere or not, I I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But he has revised it upward. But still, two billion means that five billion of us are going to have to go. He also came out with a uh, list of his own Ten Commandments that closely reflect uh, what's on the uh, Georgia Guidestones. He's a zealot uh, for the United Nations. He do donated a billion dollars to the United Nations, and of course, the uh, uh, Georgia Guidestones has really served as nothing more than a uh, billboard uh, advertisement for the United Nations agenda. Ten years before, or more, decades before uh, the Earth Charter and Agenda 21. Uh, you know, they were introducing these ideas into the, the public psyche, you know, decades before these uh, United Nations uh, issues came up. Plus, his, his, his headquarters was in Atlanta, just 100 miles away from there. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe, if my, my reading was correct, he founded CNN that next that same year, 1980, is when CNN kicked off. So yes, he went from sort of from strength to strength. You know, he'd formed the WTBS Superstation. He had the World Championship Wrestling, all these other kind of things that increased his profile. And then uh, with these network of stations, then he, he went to the CNN route, and then the rest is history. That's true. Uh, I believe in June of uh, 1980, they opened, uh, they opened CNN, I think it was 79 days after uh, the uh, Georgia Guidestones opened. And... Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that uh, Wyatt Martin believed that Robert C. Christian was pinched for finances, and that's why the uh, the uh, time capsule was never built. Well, um, it, it's well known. I mean, he's gone on public record stating this that uh, 
he was afraid he was going to go bankrupt at that time. Uh, right. Ted Turner was. Yeah, he had a uh, major reversal at a turn of events. In fact, he's had a, a few cases like that because he was a very risky businessman. Uh, that's the only way you get to be really that popular many times, I think, is to actually take high risk like that. Uh, you know, we're getting down to about the last nine minutes or so of, of our interview, and the one key point you're leading us to is that there's been another development in the world, and I know this is very little time for you to go into detail, but you see embedded in the dimensions of this this uh, piece itself, this structure, uh, something that ties to a building that was just opened uh, just in the last uh, month or so. Can you can you shed insight on that and what the significance is? Yes, and this is what's so extremely important and why that I'm basically giving up everything to to tell everybody about uh, this connection uh, because it's so important and it's it's absolute it's it's indisputable the connection that I found between the Georgia Guidestones and the, the Burj Khalifa. I, I want to preface this by stating that uh, I've had to take a crash course and uh, occult studies over the last couple of months to try to understand what was going on with the Georgia Guidestones. Uh, you know, my uh, expertise has been in physics and the computer uh, industry for, for decades. Um, I don't com- uh, you know, claim to be a, a, a master of occult knowledge, uh, although I have studied it very intensely over the last few months. Um, so... Um, and I've gone out on and read other people's claims about numerological links in, uh, between, like Obama and uh, the Antichrist, and, and, and they, they cite things like the angle of the, the, the knot on his tie as being an indication that he's mm-hmm. the Antichrist. <laughs> uh, you know, th- things that are, you know, really don't, they're not substantiated very well. You understand? Right. Uh, I don't come from a world like that. Uh, I, I come from a world of, uh, you know, hard numbers um, and, and analy- analytical scientific uh, deduction. You have to have firm evidence, and the evidence that I found is extremely solid. Well, and, we've and got I about really five found... minutes, so if you could just hit us with the, some of those hard numbers and where you see they found. Okay. Uh, the, the Georgia Guidestones, when I first started looking into it, I knew to look uh, for numerological encoded messages uh, because my, you know, it was obvious that it was a, a inspired by Freemasonic and Theosophical um, uh, beliefs. Uh, so I started looking at the, the proportions of the Georgia Guidestones themselves, and uh, they are each proportioned one by, one by four by ten, which have immediately brought to mind the uh, date, January 4th, 2010. So I looked to see what was going to happen during that date, and I found out that the Burj Khalifa was going to be completed and opened on that date, January 4th, 2010. And I was already familiar with that building, but then I studied it, studied its image, and it, it, it was shocking how uh, it brought to mind the Tower of Babel. It, it has mm-hmm. a ziggurat-style right. uh, spiraling right. staircase structure that brings to mind the, the Tower of Babel. And understanding the uh, the occult belief systems of the people behind the Georgia Guidestones, I knew that it could have no other meaning than being a new Tower of Babel. It was very stunning to me. However, I wasn't satisfied with just that one link, um, as convincing as it may be. So I, I, I tried to find out if something, another important uh, link could be established, like the, the height of the, the Burj Khalifa. That's what it's called now, the Burj Khalifa if that was encoded in the Georgia Guidestones. So um, I came up with the uh, number 
2,717 as the height of the, the uh, Burj Khalifa at that time. Um, so I, I did a lot of research to find out what uh, people believed the, the true height of the the, uh, the building was, and uh, everybody seemed to agree that it was actually 2,684 feet, including the uh, Guinness Book of World Records that had just come out at that time, uh, the 2010 Guinness Book of World Records. So I, I abandoned that line of thought, thinking that it was getting me nowhere. However, on January 4, 2010, uh, Dubai had a, um, uh, a surprise for everybody, uh, in that they divulged the true height of the um, uh, the building was not 2,684 feet like everybody, everybody believed, but it was actually 2,717 feet, that number that I had come up with months before. And I came up with it with a, uh, through a very, very simple process. You know, I, I was only looking skin deep. Uh, you know, the people, it, for these numbers to have any sort of meaning at all, uh, this stuff has to be hidden in plain sight. Um I deduced this number, 2,717, by looking at the proportions of the different components of the uh, the, the monument. The capstone has the, the uh, proportions of 1 by 2 by 6. Oh, am I doing that right? No, 1 by 4 by 6. 1 right. by 4 by 6. And if you add those numbers up, that comes, comes out to 11, uh, which is an important Freemasonic number, but we won't talk about that right, right now. Then I looked at the center stone, the gnomon stone. It has the proportions of 1 by 2 by 10, um, which comes out to 13, which is also an important Masonic number. And then uh, the proportions of the guide stones, as I've already mentioned, is 1 by 4 by 10. However, there are four guide stones. So if you take uh, 1 plus 4 plus 10 plus 4, you get 19. Um, And I noticed that all three of these numbers are prime factors. Right. I multiplied them to uh, prime numbers. I multiplied them together, and I got 2,717. And uh, since these are prime numbers, uh, that means that these three numbers are very, very special. They are the prime factors for 2,717. They are a unique a combination of prime numbers that form 2,717. It's just another way of writing 2,717. So uh, th- this could not be an accident. Uh, uh, a, uh, <clears throat> it was deliberately encoded in, in the Georgia Guide Center, the height of the Burj Khalifa. We also found this other connection. The uh, dimensions, the, the proportions of the capstone are 1 by 4 by 6, which brought to mind the date uh, January 4, 2006. And on that date, the current emir of um, Dubai died unexpectedly on a trip to uh, Australia. Uh, and with his death, that cleared the way for the uh, completion of the Georgia, uh, I mean, uh, of the uh, Burj Khalifa and uh, the near bankruptcy of Dubai, which it uh, it brought. And that near bankruptcy is how um, the tower was renamed from Burj Dubai to the Burj Khalifa at that time because it was bailed out by the um, the uh, Emir of. Uh, Abu Dhabi uh, mm-hmm. at that time, and, and they, they renamed it the Burj Khalifa in honor of him. Hmm. What, what do you think we're going to see next? Uh, as we're drawing to a close here, what do you think we'll see next regarding this structure and this story unfolding? Sorry, I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> trying to get a lot of stuff in there uh, in a short time. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, I've been looking earnestly for other information. I, you know, I've been able to decode the... Uh, the opening of the Burj Khalifa, 
the, uh, the, the height of the Burj Khalifa, the death of Sheikh um, Maktoum bin Rashid al-Maktoum on January 4th, uh, 2006. The Noman Stone is the only thing that I haven't been able to find a direct uh, uh, date associated with. However, someone uh, posted a comment on my uh, website the other day that I believe has, uh, it may hold the key, um, the dimensions of the uh, Noman Stone are 1 by 2 by 10. If you express that as a date, it's 01-02-2010. That's a palindrome. It's the same written forward as it is backwards. And I believe that that might be the intent. It might be referring to the entire year 2010 as being this uh, special uh, event where all of their uh, plans unfold. That is, is, is currently my um, mm. my best hypothesis right yeah, now. And it just so happens to be the 30th anniversary of the Georgia Gadstones as well. Correct. correct. Fascinating. Right. Uh, we have to draw to a close. Uh, our, our radio has limitations on this, and we have much more to cover on this, and we'd sure like to have you back to keep adding to the story as the research continues. But could you close us with a very, very brief prayer? Um that uh, the forces of God, that his power and strength and righteousness would prevail over the forces of evil that are behind activities like this, and that uh, we would be strengthened and emboldened for the challenging days ahead? Oh, well, I'm not much into public prayer, but I'll, I'll try. Uh, and dear Lord, please grant us strength uh, and clarity of mind to understand the connections that apparently exist between the Georgia Guidestones and the Burj Khalifa and the sinister implications that it has for the world at large and in particular your servants. Yes. Uh, please brace us, give us strength, and uh, let the Holy Ghost speak through those of us who try to spread your truth, Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you. That was perfect. Yeah. Uh, we, we count on spiritual power here on this show. We try to expand knowledge for our listeners, their awareness of what's going on so we can walk circumspectly. But at the same time, it requires the, the power of the Holy Spirit working uh, our lives uh, for us to have any kind of chance to withstand these challenging days ahead. And I want to thank you so much for your time that uh, you were with us today. And we'd certainly like to have you back again very soon to talk on your further research on this matter or something else that you'd like to share. Sure, I'd be happy to. Thank you, Thank Brother you. Van. You uh, be careful and be of good strength. I know it's going to be a time of uh, uh, amazing things to happen in your personal life and your family this year as well. And uh, we're going to keep track of that, and we certainly look forward to having you back again. Well, thank you both. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, no fan of the New World Order and pretty angry with them right now. Bionic. Any last words you have about the Georgia Gadstones? Um, if there's a there's a big hole in the center, and I thought that was mm-hmm. interesting, about big enough to put a piece of rope through or something. Oh, not, not, that works. not that you'd encourage anybody to vandalize it. No. Well, I sure hope Brother Van will come back soon and share more research about what he's doing. And until then, you can let uh, our friend Merv know what you think about Future Quake, and he'll tell you how. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information.
email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to go. Do we? Really? Yes, it's the end of time. Oh, man. Of, of, of everything. I thought we had more time. Until Sorry. tomorrow when we have tomorrow's tremors. But until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. I do. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Newsday Bionic. Well, that that qualifies for foreshadowing, doesn't it? I believe so, yes. Because, being that it's Friday, what does that signify on the Future Quake Show? It is tomorrow's tremors or today's future review of the news. Uh, you know, on a good day, I'd give you full credit on that. Yeah. It is tomorrow's tip, Tremors or today's review of the Futures News, as it has been for many years on the Future Quick Show. Oh, I don't know why I missed that. Uh, we, <laughs> I know. You've only, you haven't been here long enough. You're still yeah, a new kid on the still, block. Still a little new. Yeah, Pyro I'm could to hold it against tell you about it. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the interview this week with Van Smith. We thought that was very compelling information. Mm-hmm. Sort of classic Future Quick topic. Uh, and, uh, it gets us back to the, the the kind of thing we're probably most known for or remembered for. But today's the day that we review our news. Mm-hmm. And just thought I'd see if you had any kind of words or thoughts before we... This uh, is our time to make announcements before we mm, let's see. get into the news. Um, hmm. I am hearing that there are registrations happening oh, for yeah. the last day's 2010 Very conference. Very good. That was the one thing that Come I wanted, along. and I just drew a blank. Yeah. The last day's conference, uh, last day's, last dash days dot net. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the greater Nashville area. Yeah, there's a great video up there now, too. Oh, I haven't Just seen a little, that. little, I don't know, minute-long promo. Really? It's really cool. Oh. Yeah, you're in is, it. <laughs> is my is my bio up yet? Because I just yes. checked the other day. Yeah, it's, it's so. up as of last night. Okay, great. Okay. Well, I'll tell you, there's eight speakers there. Six of them are excellent. And uh, we would suggest that uh, you... Uh, <laughs> You Don't talk about on. those two guys. Like yeah, that. I know. I shouldn't do Don't that. Don't talk about Joe and Guy like that. Uh, <laughs> no, we think you'd really enjoy it. If you are anywhere within driving distance, I think this is a wonderful time to, for you to meet some guests. Uh, some have been the most prominent guests we've had on the Future Quake show. And all at one place at one time, and that's part of the country. Mm-hmm. And so we highly recommend that you come to it. Show support for the organizers of the event itself. I think it's very important. And, you know, one thing to always keep in mind, too, next year, this time next year, we might all be in a FEMA camp. Mm-hmm. And they might split us all up. We might not be able to have these discussions behind barbed wire. So mm-hmm. that might be one of our last events we get to have something like this. Yeah, it's true. So I think that's that's very important. Yeah. Uh, as we get into this, can I mention a comment based upon some a couple of emails I just got this very week? Very good. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, we have tens of thousands of regular listeners on the internet, and the same on our airwaves. Uh, so it's easy to overreact or underreact when when you get email responses. And we had a couple of emails, and really it was just a couple of them, but they may represent a larger group of people, particularly newer people to our show, who had listened to the last couple weeks of our show where we'd had a couple weeks uh, talking about um, 
some political issues, mm-hmm. at least new developments. One was about the, the Go group, mm-hmm. which is a whole different way of picking, picking elected representatives. Mm-hmm. The other was something about the founder of the Tea Party movement and trying to separate fact from fiction. Mm-hmm. And there are some Christians out there uh, who are very sincere. They love our show, very supportive. But they, their feelers get up and they get pretty nervous when people start talking about political stuff. They're kind of of the, of the abdication sort of political camp, if you will. Well, yeah, I don't know quite how to phrase them, but, you know, we hear so much about dominionism that they're, I think they're afraid they're, that you get into that, you quickly fall into the dominionist trap mm-hmm. of, uh, trying to use Christianity to do political aims or ride political Sure, no. And that may be a valid concern, but I think going to the opposite extreme, actually by fiat, brings you back to the other the other end because what you end up doing is having a, a complete abdicational uh, uh, idea and then the people who do want to uh, bring forth these dominious mm-hmm. type events have free reign because you're not there to right. uh, fight for everybody's right to express themselves. Right. It's a way of resisting yeah. dominionist activities. Yeah. Well, let me, if you don't mind, let me say for the record that you and I both, I think I can speak for you saying we're clearly against the dominionist Goals and purposes. I, I, yeah, I don't. I don't think you could meet two people who are more against dominion than of, of basically using the reins of secular government, the profane, uh, to do the work of the sacred, uh, mm-hmm. the work the Lord gives us in the church mm-hmm. to do, to uh, spread the kingdom of God spiritually and non-coercively, and to use the coercive power of government to do it. That we stand firmly against that, uh, and also, uh, I think we understand too that there have been religious leaders, particularly Christian media figures, who have been hoodwinked. They got involved in politics and sort of lost their way. Sure. They lost what their original intent was. Mm-hmm. But having said that, um, first of all, in the Future Quake show, our, when we first started the show, even before we were on a, a pure Christian radio station. Back in the Cro-Magnon era. Right. Yeah, yeah. And the troglodytes were listening. <laughs> uh, we, our purpose was to cover issues that were impact people's way of life, developments that were just emerging uh, in the news that were going to have an impact, and we were going to cover them. And uh, we have covered them from a biblical viewpoint as best as we knew how, mm-hmm. uh, should light. And I think uh, what we've done with these kind of stories is not try to pick a particular mainline political party to promote, but just tell them, here, this is something in the news. You need to be aware of it. Let's find out the actual facts of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the fact of actually our responsibilities as a citizen. You know, we, we, I know you've in your circles and I have in mine had debates with people and maybe we should have a show on this sometime about what and it talks about obeying authorities. Uh, what does it mean to obey authorities, yeah. you know, in scripture? Um, and I would say just as the way to introduce the argument, frame it, uh, you have Romans 13 where it says you must obey the government because it's authority by God. Yeah, the authorities. authorities. Yeah. And then it says in, um, well, and people take that to mean governmental things. Uh, but then you have in Hosea where uh, God says, "There are kings that I have put in place. There are kings that I have not put in place, that you guys are obeying." You know. Wow. So. Uh, wow. Like, what do you you know, that's interesting when you say that because somebody who's very, very close to us, a wonderful Christian man, who also uh, our listening audience would know, somebody who I think highly of, really believes in the divine right of kings. Yeah, he 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 would disagree with the last. He would fall more into the Romans 13 camp. And in fact, would believe that we should still be under King George. That that rebellion was actually a activity of Satan, and that all of the activity Whoa. we've seen with the Illuminati and stuff was basically gave gave opportunity for it because of that disobedience. So I know that's another kettle of fish. That's that's a very interesting because I know that a lot of the founding fathers, uh, one or two in particular, were obsessed 
with keeping the Illuminatus out of uh, out of Washington, well, out of the United States. Right, and then they had their own issues, their yeah. own other things going on. So it's very complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, th- there's a lot of diff- disagreement on this. I personally believe that the authority in our form of government is the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Uh, leaders are supposed to come and go. Where elected officials come, they stay for a while, and they leave, and that's intent. It's not like a king. Mm-hmm. And so if if they go against the Constitution, the Constitution actually has higher authority, and they are, by definition, lawbreakers. Sure. So um, our response to obey authorities in our country, in the situation we have, is to support the Constitution. And what is, and that is fulfilling our biblical authority mm-hmm. uh, to, to keep uh, lawfulness there. But I know that's a deep topic. I don't want to get off in that. But I just want to say that uh, our, sh- our show is not intended to be like an all-political kind of show, yeah. and that's all we cover. Uh, you know, some people just like when we talk about Bible prophecy. Some people just like when we talk about New Order, mm-hmm. New World Order stuff, or, yeah. or what Mrs. Future calls weirdness. Um, and, you know, no two guys like that kind of stuff more than you and I. Sure. But uh, we try to reach a lot of different people on issues. And if it's an issue that's affecting the way we live today, I, I think all these things have prophetic significance. All of them can some way work out within the lens of what God's Word says. So. Sure. So, anyway, people, if you could just be patient with us, uh, just know our intentions and purposes. We don't have a political agenda, anything like that. We're just trying to cover stories that are happening today. Uh, we we are concerned about losing our rights, uh, particularly the right to do the show. Mm-hmm. And that'd be a real bummer. It'd be a tough one. Mm-hmm. Okay, enough said. Soapbox. Do you want to do a story? You go first. Are you sure? Yeah. Well, this particular story, and this is reason why future quakes exist and why we should fight for our civil rights to maintain is so we have the right to read a story like this. Um, the story is called, Will Rockefeller Build the Third Temple? Internet abuzz with reported biblical proportions. Wow. Have you been following this? No. Sorry. Some of our listeners um, probably have heard this. It was mentioned on WorldNet Daily. In fact, this following article is from WorldNet Daily. Just happened to stumble across uh, through a, through another site on the web. Uh, it has some interesting twists and turns here. It says uh, a Rockefeller is raising capital to rebuild the Jewish temple, said the news release published on CNN Money's internet site and other news sources. The plan would include a united Jewish and Palestinian Arab state. A Jewish group promoting the rebuilding of the temple was reported to be cooperating. The story spread virally through the evangelical Christian blogosphere but it was all part of an elaborate hoax. The the release filed with MarketWire and published at CNNMoney.com. You know, these are these big money journalism locations that have lots of money to vet stories and things. Uh, Claims that Supreme David Rockefeller, that's S-U-P-R-I-E-M, Supreme David Rockefeller is director of a company, (coughs) Kinty Holdings Group, which is working with the Jewish Temple Organization to rebuild the Third Temple. States the release. Kenty Holdings will be raising funds to go toward building the Third Temple in Jerusalem in strict uh, coordinates with the Temple Institute. Uh, Rabbi Chaim Rickman and the Palestinian National Interest Committee and supporting Hussam Bajiz for President of Palestine. Um, Now, Rickman, International Director of the Temple Institute, which I think we referred to in the show with Michael... uh, uh, about uh, his Bajan. book, yeah, Michael Bajan. Mm-hmm. He said he told Well Not Daily the release is a scam. The Temple Institute strongly protests the use of its name and that of uh, Rabbi Chaim Rechman in a series of fraudulent press releases and advertising claims that are now circulating on the Internet, uh, read the Temple Institute's response. 
Uh, it says it continues. The claims made by these men are false and malicious, and their apparent intentions are to take advantage of the Temple Institute's sincere supporters and rob them of funds. The Temple Institute advises its friends and supporters to avoid being taken by the scam. Now, it gets more interesting here. Hang on. Okay. The original Rockefeller press release about rebuilding the Third Temple, however, has been spreading like wildfire on Christian websites and blogs. Uh, uh, the release uh, was filed with MarketWire, a leading newswire service. Uh, they did not respond to a request for comment. Uh, and it says, uh, the company that filed the release, Kinty Holdings, K-I-N-T-I, has a track record of making strange announcements. Uh, Monday, they filed a release using the Rockefeller name and claiming that it is seeking a debt equity swap with any and all national brand name corporations. Uh, and it talks about the involvement of Supreme David Rockefeller. Now, uh, let me skip down to uh, an interesting part. Uh, as for Supreme David Rockefeller, a spokesman for the Rockefeller Foundation told WND he doesn't exist. A routine web search for the name brings up scores of conspiracy websites claiming, among other things, that Supreme is a secretive 34-year-old heir to the Rockefeller dynasty who is fighting for a new world order. Uh, one site says he's really a con artist and convicted thief who goes by different names and lives in Williamson County, Tennessee. Wow. Far so out. That's within the Future Quake radio listening mm-hmm. audience. Uh, Amir, you know, David Stonethrow from the studios of Future Quake. You'd have to have quite an arm, but you could probably hit it. So, so this David Rockefeller could have been hearing all along. Mm-hmm. The future quake shows. He could be on the radio. He could be listening right now. Right at this time. In his little bunker. And, you know, I was sort of figured Williamson County, Tennessee, was probably a likely hangout for all of the New World Order. Well, people. it's probably going to replace Davos. I'm wondering about any kind of sacred architecture they have over there. Well, they certainly have plenty of it in, that, in Nashville. Well, here's some claims about the Supreme. Uh-huh. Uh, he has DNA from different races, including Anunnaki, Draco, Triple Helix, Elohim, and more. Uh, he has a triple helix blue blood and a chimera state with red blood and more than one DNA uh, sequence with this triple helix being reptilian blood. He has a fortune in the trillions and is seeking to finance a high-speed bullet train. Uh, he exerts enormous influence over Bill Clinton, George H.W. Bush, and Henry Kissinger. So, uh, anyway, that's that's the main the main crux of it. If you hear any more about that gentleman. Supreme? Yeah. Sounds like a something you'd serve to somebody. Yeah. Like in between an appetizer and a main course. Yeah. So uh, that's that's a little bit uh, what to look out for. All right. Good story. Well, it gets us over that burden of having to mention the Nephilim or Rockefeller. Rockefeller. You get them all right out there. Yep. Yeah. So well, the temple part was the bonus. Well, what do you want to hear about? Do you want to hear... The executive orders or how Goldman Sachs helped Greece mask its true debt, or do you want to hear about how Descartes was poisoned by a Catholic priest? Got to go with that last one. Yeah, I figured you'd want that one. My my stories were pretty mundane except for this one. Okay. Uh, good, good thing we set them aside then. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the headline is Descartes was poisoned by a Catholic priest. Uh, this is the source of this is the London Guardian, so it's a, a no small, you know, out of the way newspaper. Mm-hmm. It's a paper of note. Uh, Rene Descartes died not from natural causes, but from a fatal dose of arsenic administered by a Catholic missionary working in Stockholm, it has been claimed. For more than three and a half centuries, the, the death of Rene Descartes 
One winter's day in Stockholm has been attributed to the ravages of pneumonia on a body unused, uh, unused, um, huh, that's all weird English, unused to the Scandinavian chill. But in a book released after years spent com- combing the archives of Paris and the Swedish capital, one Cartesian expert has a more sinister theory about how the French philosopher came to his end. According to Theodore uh, Ebert, an academic at the University of Erlangen, Descartes died not through natural causes but from an arsenic-laced communion wafer given to him by a Catholic priest. Ebert believes that Jacques Viauget, a missionary working in Stockholm, administered the poison because he feared Descartes' radical theological ideas would derail an expected conversion to Catholicism by the monarch of Protestant Protestant Sweden. Uh, Viauget knew of Queen Christina's Catholic tendencies it is very likely that he saw in Descartes an obstacle to the Queen's conversion to the Catholic faith, Ebert told Le Nouvel Observateur newspaper. Though raised as a Catholic, Descartes, who had been summoned in 1649 to tutor Queen Christina, was regarded with suspicion by many of his theological uh, co-religionists. His theories were viewed as incompatible with the belief of transubstantiation, in which the bread and wine served during the Eucharist became the flesh and blood of Christ. Viaget was convinced that his metaphysics were more in line with with Calvinist quote-unquote heresy, said Ebert. The theory of foul play has been greeted with caution by scholars. Since Descartes' death in 11, uh, on the February 11, 1650, pneumonia has been blamed for robbing the world of the so-called father of modern philosophy. Ebert rejects this as incompatible with the facts. In a letter written to his patient's death, uh, written after his patient's death, Descartes' doctor, Van Woolen, described having found something wrong, which Ebert believes to be blood in the philosopher's urine. This is not a symptom of pneumonia. It is a symptom of poisoning, chiefly of arsenic, said Ebert, adding that Descartes asked his doctor to to prescribe an emetic. What conclusion is to be drawn other than the philosopher, who was well acquainted with the medicine of his day, believed that he had been poisoned? Very interesting story. Yeah. Very interesting story. I guess it doesn't say what what uh, order, uh, priestly order. Yeah, that's what I was, was. thinking. <laughs> Maybe Jesuit. I was going to say, would it happen to start with a J? Well, what I found interesting too is that Descartes was the guy who said that the pineal gland in the brain was the portal to the spirit world, hmm. and it had exposed that purpose. Which you know, we had our classic show. I believe it was number one fifty-seven. I believe. Mm-hmm. That uh, talked about the DMT and the pineal gland. Mm-hmm. It's it's called pineal because it's shaped like a pine cone. Mm-hmm. And you'll actually see, and this is a Futurian listener pointed this out, the largest pine cone statue in the world is in St. Peter's Square in the Vatican. Interesting. And actually one of these pine cones is actually mounted on the staff that the Pope carries. Wow. Yeah. But uh, it was originally that big pine cone statue, it's the largest in the world, was in front of the Temple of Isis in Rome. And they moved it over to the Vatican. Oh. So. Yeah. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's so, heavy. Well, this one is a maybe a little bit of a reach as far as I'm not quite sure if it's going to impact us directly. Okay. So if you take something with, uh, uh, we're not saying this is going to actually change the world in the next day or two. But maybe this, maybe this next week. back to the good old days of Future Quake. Great. Great story, okay? Okay. Uh, this comes from the Space Review. Um, 
Space Nazis are coming, at least. Okay, uh, it says there's a war going on upstairs. Uh, and it's it not says, your neighbors? When the new Obama space policy uh, was unveiled a few weeks ago, even though familiar with American space policy could be forgiven for being a little confused, in Washington, budget is policy, including both budget increases and program cancellations. But the central figure feature was a cancellation of the Constellation program. So the U.S. has made the decision not to try to venture beyond low Earth orbit for the future. Great. Uh, well, Richard Hoagland, who you know is uh, one of the most prominent guests on Coast to Coast AM, and mm-hmm. sort of a, uh, I don't know how you would describe him as a scientist. Um, Something ed- else. Edgy would be mild. Mild. Uh, he's come up with a starting revelation that Obama canceled the lunar program because he was warned by space Nazis. Uh, fortunately, it turns out there's a good... Richard ex- Hoagland said this? Yeah. Uh, fortunately, it, I'm sure it's based on good, solid information. Sure. Fortunately, it turns out there was a good explanation for why Obama canceled it. Uh, it's been provided by Richard Hoagland. Um, and he's talked about structures being on Mars that's been covered up. Mm-hmm. Pictures have been doctored mm-hmm. up and things that's there. That's right. That's where I remember him from. Okay. Uh, he says, uh, Hoagland recently explained this all on the Coast to Coast AM radio program. It's on his website. Uh, and then he explained it recently at a Conscious Life Expo. According to Hoagland, Obama had been prepared to finally give the Constellation program the funding it needed to return Americans to the moon. But then in December, a remarkable thing happened in the skies over Norway, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, something that we didn't really... Never talked too much about the weird swirly thing yeah. in the sky in November. But uh, yeah. I guess sort of waiting to see if some more stuff comes up. So maybe Hoagland has hit it. Right before Obama visited Norway to receive his Nobel Peace Prize, the Russians launched a ballistic missile on a test. The missile sailed into the northern sky and it stopped in mid-air, grad while it was going thousands of miles an hour. This is to Hoagland. It was stopped by some kind of massively powerful, mysterious device. And when it was stopped in mid-air, hundreds of people across Norway saw it, and some photographed it, seeing a weird spiral in the sky that was quickly labeled the Nor- Norway Spiral. This was a message sent to both Obama and Russian leader Putin that somebody has the power to stop us. Uh, and they asked, well, who was it? And he says it's the secret space program. The so, space Nazis? So uh, the message was that humanity needs to be imprisoned on Earth. Uh, once Obama got the message, he canceled the American lunar program. So um, anyway, he talks a little bit about... Uh, he says, uh, what's going on dates back to the last days of World War II. As the Allies were closing in, some Nazi scientists took their best technology and fled the Earth, apparently leaving for the moon, forming a secret off-world civilization. They set up shop and continued to develop their capabilities to the point where their technology was so advanced that they were practically godlike to us and their abilities. Oh, and then okay. it gets and then it gets, then it stra- gets weird. <laughs> then it gets strange going on from there. Uh, you know, it's very interesting. Um, uh, is this is just like a story of the first feature-length movie I produced, Nightmare on Neptune? Yeah, I remember. Nightmare yeah, on Neptune, where seeing the I played Commander Adam Kent of the Zero Patrol in the movie, mm-hmm. and looking for some missing scientists on the surface of Neptune, and find an underground living quarters with Nazis that had left World War II mm-hmm. as an offshoot of the V rocket program, and had raised quite an offshoot. from test tube babies a generation of people with new hydrogen bombs that they perfected there to attack Earth. They had to thwart. Wow. So it was almost like I was sort of prophetic with this. So anyway, I won't share the rest of it because it gets strange after that. That's just the mainstream yeah. part of the story. Yeah, I'm looking for Elijah's mantle around here. Richard Hoagland. 
Yep. Okay. Can I just mantle? We got. Mm. Oh, you're already wearing it. <laughs> got, we got three or four minutes. You got one. One yeah, here. Yeah, we'll We got. We got one here that really procured my interest. Uh, the Obama regime reading executive orders on several issues. Okay. With much of his legislative agenda stalled in Congress, President Obama and his team are preparing an array of actions using his executive power to advance energy, environmental, fiscal, and other domestic pro- policy priorities like health care. I put that last one in there, mm-hmm. but that's the obvious thing. Mr. Obama has not given up hope of progress on Capitol Hill, Aid said, in a scheduled a session with Republican leaders on health care later this month. You know, I heard he actually showed up at a sort of uninvited at a Republican gathering and kind of grabbed the stage mm-hmm. and made a 20-minute 20, 20 long harangue, like, you need to be working with unscheduled? us. Unscheduled? Yeah. Because I know he had one that was scheduled. I heard it was, this one was, like, unscheduled. Okay. Uh, they were, you know. Was that that German base on the moon where it was done? It was, it was the, like, the Nightmare on Neptune. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he stopped there to get some of these uh, test tube babies. Yeah. And, uh, but he did was wearing one of them Zero Patrol red suits. Yeah, pretty sharp. <laughs> he was hip. Uh, but in the aftermath, in the aftermath of a special election in Massachusetts that cost Democrats unilateral control of the Senate, the White House is getting ready to act on its own in the face of partisan gridlock heading into the midterm campaign. We are reviewing a list of presidential executive orders and directives to get the job done across a front of issues, said Rahm Emanuel, mm-hmm. the White House chief of staff. Any president has vast authority to influence policy even without legislation through executive orders, agency rulemaking, and and administrative fiat. And Mr. Obama's success this week in pressuring the Senate to confirm 27 nominations by threatening to use his recess appointment power demonstrated that executive authority can be leveraged to force action by Congress. So the point of this story is that it seems like uh, the people, he said, I want to hear what you have to mm-hmm. say. And the people said, no. And he said. And I want to work. I want to stretch across the aisle and work with other people. Yeah. he said, And he said, that's not the answer I wanted. Mm-hmm. We're going to do something else. Well, you see, one thing they can agree on, Democrat and Republican, is abuse of power. Mm-hmm. That's one thing they can do. It's like, that's, well, that's when it's our very, turn, we get to throw that stuff. Very and, bipartisan you know, there. There were some of them that complained about all the executive orders of Bush. Mm-hmm. But there was a number of them that kept their mouth shut. And I think that's because they figure, hey, when it's our turn, you know. Mm-hmm. We we have this facade that we shake our fists at each other, but the real stuff is decided behind closed doors. Sure. So, anyway, so we should see some very draconian things probably come out from his pen mm-hmm. without even going through Pelosi Congress. and those guys. Yep. Okay. Well, can I uh, mention something? We're out of time here, but I just want to let people have it's okay. Uh, let them know that Google is now banning DVDs critical of the Obama administration. Hmm. They sent a message. There's one example to Alex Jones Group that uh, one of theirs uh, that was just done uh, is no longer allowed to be on there. And, and, you know, he hits both groups, you know, Democrats and Republicans. Mm -hmm. So uh, they've already said that they're not going to carry that because it advocates violence. Now, I've never seen anything that advocated violence. Have you? And any no, of his stuff, to no. My I would say if if other thing he he says that we need we need to be peaceful. I mean, he's like almost goes overboard with it. So I recommend people go uh, go Google that. Yep. And find out. It follow the Republic was the name of the. Uh, and it's a multi-part series. You know, yeah. it's, it's talking about all the different. It's very very fascinating movie. That's great. Well, somebody else fascinating is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us at Futurequake.
Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Boy, this time goes so quick. I don't I'm know so where sorry. it goes. We had a lot more to talk about. We ought to do just like a whole bonus future quake only for the, only for the, just do news, you know? How about just a year of news? That's a little tall. It'd be like real time <laughs> as it happens. Ladies and gentlemen, we got to go. Uh, come back for another great guest next week. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Uh, beliefs, uh, they, they seem completely insane. However, they uh, the, Lucius, the Lucius Trust has incredible power, and uh, it the Lucius Trust almost certainly is the blueprint for a United Nations uh, global religion. Right. And you, you see well, a lot of their influences in things like the Earth Charter and Agenda right. 21. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom.